Blackjack with Griffin and David. Blackjack with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blackjack. Everybody is somebody else in Citizens Podcast, the movie. Citizens Podcast, the ultimate fantasy. Citizens Podcast, the comedy. You're reading from the poster? Not only is that the tagline, I'm going to present this to you. That is the entire, entire poster. poster. Just the poster those has words. no graphics. No. It is just that, and then the credit block at the bottom. What's the last Embrace poster? Oh, well, hold on. I have it queued up. Give me one second, please. I'm a professional. Here we go. It begins with an ancient warning. This is good. This is good stuff. All right, here we go. It ends at the edge of Niagara Falls. Yeah. In between, there are five murders. It'd be funny if they were like, in between, Excuse eh, me, excuse me. Sorry. I'm mid-tagline here. Solve the mystery or die podcasting. (laughs) And then look at this fucking image. Yeah, amazing image. Amazing image. She's falling down the Niagara Falls. Roy Scheider, America's favorite movie star, (laughs) is valiantly grabbing a woman's wrist as she dangles off the side of Niagara Falls. A image that promises a movie full of thrills and spills and that takes one hour and 45 minutes to get to that one image. I like a movie that tells you where the last scene's going to be. Because that is indeed where the last scene occurs. I don't want to get too worked up wondering (laughs) where the movie is. This is almost the very last image of the movie. And there may be two (laughs) shots after this. I want to point something out. This is not an image in the movie. You do see in the trailer, by the way, the last thing that happens in the movie is 100% in the trailer. trailer. It can be nothing else, and that is what it is. It is in there, and that is In the movie, you just sort of see her go under some water. Like, you're not, I mean, look at this, like, landscape Yes, this is exciting. This is like a Drew Struzan-esque painting. Right. Mm -hmm. But I, yes, this is a composite image of the They didn't actually throw her down the Niagara Falls. Uh, Okay, but this action happens in the last three shots of the film. Essentially. The movie wraps up right then. (laughs) Right. Right, right, right. It's sort of like... Right. The second she's submerged, it goes to credits. Spoiler for the film with a poster that spoils the movie. <laughs> but in the movie, in the poster, you think, oh, he's trying to rescue her. Of course. This uh, might be yeah. the cold open. Twist. It's not a twist. That's the She's end the of the movie. <laughs> well, and it says it in the thing. Yeah. The poster even clarifies in the text, don't get it twisted. This isn't the beginning. This is the end of the film. And here's it does where it takes place. Yeah. They do clarify. Yes. It ends at the edge of Niagara Falls. Right. That's the inevitable. It all ends at Niagara Falls. Can I point out how effective a sentence is? In between, there are five murders. I love that promise to the audience. Like, where's it going to start? An ancient warning. Where's it going to end? Niagara Falls with the image below. In the middle, count them, five murders. So after the fifth murder, you're like, all right, I guess they're going to Niagara. Okay, and (laughs) in fact, there's still about 30 minutes until they get to Niagara. God, yeah. Yeah. They don't get on, like, the, the bus until, like, 15 minutes before they get there. Yeah. Two weird movies we're discussing today. That's right. Two early films from Jonathan Demme. We're in this mid-period. He's out of the Corman slumps. Yeah. But right after this, he sort of starts making legitimate films and finds his footing. Right? Yeah. I would say Last Embrace is a legitimate film. But but the next movie is the first one where it's like, this is a Jonathan Demme movie. Yeah. And the first time he crosses... 
over and gets attention from the Academy Awards, things like that. Well, both of these are studio films. Yes. They are sort of legitimate movies with him working with, like, uh, proven cast, although his Corman movies have proven actors in them. They do. Um, But after this, I just wanted to double-check this stat. After this, only one of his next six films does not get a Oscar nomination or win for performance. Wow. Is that true? Uh, Melvin and Howard, Best Supporting Actress, win. Hmm. Swing Shift, Best Supporting Actress, nomination. Married to the Mob, Best Supporting Actor, yeah. nomination. That's true. That's Something's, true. Something Wild weirdly doesn't, doesn't get Doesn't, but it got like Golden Globe right. nomination. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Sounds of the Lambs. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're excluding Swimming to Cambodia, but that's sort His of— His narrative yeah. fiction films. I, I, I understood. And then Sounds of the Lambs, Philadelphia. Beloved is actually the next movie to not get Oscar attention. Right. It might have gotten like a costuming nod. But that's a pretty crazy run where he always gets an actor a nomination or a win. A great director of actors. Four wins in a 10-year period. That's pretty crazy. You work with Demi. Get yourself a trophy. When, when Tom Hanks uh, won his Oscar for Philadelphia, the last actor to win for a Demi movie. Right. And the he, first Oscar speech to be turned into a movie. Yes. In yes. and out. Yeah. He said... Uh, my thanks to Jonathan Demi, who seems to just have Oscars attached to him these days. Wow. Wow. I mean, I guess that was post-silence, so yeah. Yeah. It, four actors had won working with him. Guess what didn't win an Oscar? Last Embrace or Citizen Band. <laughs> the movie we're making our guests watch. Yes. It barely won my attention for now, the duration of the film. Wow. Right. So here's, here's the thing. When a movie wins your attention, you give it a trophy, right? You mail That's the trophy right. to the, the trophy studio. Yeah. Seeing the end of it. <laughs> This guy, you know, Jonathan Demme, mm. wins our March Madness bracket. Yeah. And this, of course, is a podcast about filmographies. Yeah. Directors are mass successful around their career, giving a series of blank checks, saying whatever crazy passion products they want. Sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they bounce. Baby. Yeah. And this is a mini series on the films of Jonathan Demme called Stop Making Podcasts. That's right. That's what, that's <laughs> what the fans decided <laughs> this should be called. Or that's just what the fans asked us to do. But sure. we interpret it as... A miniseries suggestion. We're going to interpret it as a miniseries title and not a suggestion. Right. Uh, this guy wins, and we immediately go, okay, how do we do this? Because he's got five films before his first film that anyone really cares about. Right. And so we did the three Cormans. Yeah. And then the two non-Corman studio films where he hasn't really found his footing yet. Sure. And we were like, how do we make this a listenable episode? And we had an ace up our sleeve, <laughs> which is our guest today. Who said, I've been listening to the podcast. I've watched almost every movie you've discussed in preparation for each episode. I will come on and talk about anything. And we said, How's about we offer you the least appetizing episode possible? <laughs> so mean. Could have given you a I good said, movie. Yeah, I said in the text, I said, I love it because whenever you guys put two movies into one episode, they're always really good, <laughs> important movies so, that people will have some context. <laughs> the, guys, no, you can't watch You can't these watch these movies. No. I you know. Can't, you can get Citizens Band on YouTube. Yeah. If you want to rent it on YouTube, that's what I, like, I, I did that. You can rent it on YouTube. The otherwise, you can't watch these. I might as well be describing a fucking dream I had to people <laughs> for all the relevance that this will have to their lives. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do frequently dream about Roy Scheider. I do too. I will say. His, his uh, uh, highly treated leather face. Oh, God. God, I'd love like a Roy Scheider jacket made oh, of his God. face. 
You know what I mean? Just stretch it out. I'd love like a Roy Scheider like Necronomicon, you know? Like a, right, like his a, little eyes a, peeking a, out at you. Roy Scheider's face bound in Roy Scheider's flesh. What a wild movie star he is. We're going to spend most of this episode talking about how weird Roy Scheider is as a movie star. But our guest, of course, today... Go on. Justin McElroy. Yeah. From my brother, yeah, my brother, hey. and me, and Sawbones and the Adventure Zone. Hey, how's it going? Number one New York Times bestselling author. Yeah. Twice over. It's the second time Thank I've you. dropped the mouth organ. Ben. Da- David dropped a mouth organ. Uh, Justin, what? Ben has started <laughs> ben bringing has props into the studio. He wants to become huh. some sort of morning disc jockey, uh, much like your father. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, the great Clint McElroy. But Ben now has a little bell. And a mouth organ, and a tape recorder. So the case is like the spoilers. Tape, yeah, the yeah. tape recorder is funny because then you could do the bit where you're like, uh, "Note to self: I should keep this in the episode." And then you, you know, and it's like you do that, <laughs> and it's funny. <laughs> okay, wait. Hold on. Did you hear the clip? Man, what you suggested is a reality in which you make a tape. Uh-huh. That you have to scrub through mm-hmm. to remind yourself what part of the audio that you are going to scrub through and and uh, keep in the episode. Yeah, it, he's also creating a reality in which the audience can detect the difference in verisimilitude between Ben miming a tape recorder and saying <laughs> note to self and holding a tape recorder up to the microphone. It was a button press. I heard a button There's press. There's a very light click. Yeah. But it's unmistakable. It's, it's about the theater of the mind. It's about Griffin. the theater of the mind. It's it there's a difference in Ben's performance. <laughs> He's working with something tangible. When um y'all uh, uh I thought I'll do anything was the maddest I would get at you guys <laughs> for making me watch a movie. Did you watch Isn't that funny? Just a few short days ago, I thought that was the maddest I would be at you. Okay, so that's that's what you're up to now. You're in the Brooks. I'm I'm actually halfway through uh as good as it gets, the episode with uh Chris Catherine. Yes, so I'm great like, yes. that's that's where I am in. That's where I'm at. So you've watched I'll Do Anything, but you have not watched the musical cut of I'll Do Anything. Yeah, go ahead and slide that in my Gmail, I fellas, will. if you don't mind. I will happily, because uh, that that for me is bottom three worst things we've ever discussed on the show. You should it's not rough. send him that thing. I that will thing, send him that thing. That thing is I'm like toxic to material. You should like go to jail for transporting it through email. I, I should warn you. The musical you, cut of I'll Do Anything. I should warn you that like the musical cut of I'll Do Anything is like the... Um, uh, the internet cloud version of the ring tape. Yeah, exactly. No, it's, it's like it's the fine. fucking Ark of the Covenant. Right. It's one of those things where you watch I'll Do Anything and you're like, yeah, th- this is so horrible. There's no way the musical version was worse. At least it must have been interesting. It you watch the musical version, you're like, oh, it's a lot worse. <laughs> like, wow. They kind of rescued this one. And also an hour longer. Yeah. Ugh. And it's not Ugh. just an hour of musical numbers. It's an hour of, like, B- bullshit. Other bullshit. Fucking bullshit. Yeah. Uh, what a weird film. Anyway, today we're talking about two normal movies that everyone's loved and everyone <laughs> will have watched in preparation for this episode. So honored just to put a thumbprint on these like, cultural milestones. Gotta talk about the movies. So Demi has done three Cormans. That's correct. And they all did all right. And like Corman always says, if you do well enough under me, you get to make real movies. Exactly. So here's him coming up with two films that feel like uh, proven sort of models. One is yeah. Citizens Band is kind of working off the American graffiti archetype. A hundred percent. The small town ensemble comedy cast. melodrama ensemble cast. It genuine. It has Paul Lamatt and Candy right. Clark who are both in American graffiti. Right. Uh, 
you know, slice of life. There's almost a bit of all comedy. There's yeah. almost something sort of Nashville adjacent, which I guess these are the same year. Is Nashville, no, isn't Nashville 76? 75. 75, okay. Okay, so this is two years later. Uh, right, but he's picking two American actors. American Graffiti, I believe, is 74. Yes. yes. He's picking two actors from American Graffiti several years after American Graffiti and going, this is going to be a surefire hit. They're back in cars again. Yeah, they're in cars. Uh, you got. It's written by Paul uh, Brickman. Who, who later goes on to write and direct uh, Risky Business and then disappear. Yeah, he really did disappear. Whew. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he made Men Don't Leave. Oh, of course. Well, men uh, don't leave. Um, but apart from that, yeah. Um, so I think I, – well, also there's the movie Convoy. We have to talk about the movie Convoy. Justin, have you seen the film Convoy? No. That have comes you, out the next year. Have you heard the song Convoy? Convoy. Yes. Convoy. Yeah. So at 75, that song comes out, and that it's like taps into this whole like CB radio yes. craze, right? Which is when you watch this movie, it's fucking Twitter and all that stuff. Well, that's it's a little I, social network. That's what I think is interesting about this. Movie, I agree. Is that the movie's kind of about the yes. internet. And then Convoy is a movie that comes out next year. It comes out in 78. It's a Peck and Paul movie. It stars Chris Christopherson. But it's it, based off the song. Like it's, it's explicitly the like song. you love the song. Get ready for an hour and 40 minutes of uh, uh, live action footage. But in Convoy, like things are happening. It's more of an adventure movie. Uh-huh. You know, the trucks are driving somewhere. In CB, it's you know, Citizens Band. It's like everyone's stuck in their same town and is kind of like bored, right? It's kind of just about people who are bored, it, right? But it is a movie about, but again, the, I think that that, that leans into that like, it is, it's about Twitter. It is. It's a prescient film about Twitter created before this, like, what is it, 30 years before the service itself would exist. It's fascinating. Yeah, well, the other, that's the thing that's fascinating is, like, his whole hooks to the movie, which is, like, the thing that uh, uh, poster tagline leads with is the idea that, like, oh, everybody is somebody else right. on right. Citizens Band Radio, which is, like, yes, incredibly prescient for the internet. Right. Which is like he's tapping this idea of like, oh, is there something in the human spirit that would love to pretend to be someone else, to create a false identity, right. to be able to like speak with impunity and anonymity. It's like a little – And connect like, with others. You know, it's like sort of like in the 90s, you were, I guess like the sort of lonely hearts thing, right? Sure. Like, you know, singles and – uh, like uh, people sending sort of uh, personal ads to each other. Like it's a very primitive version of that. But then now it feels like a primitive version of a social network. Yeah, and this movie has like, like a chat room. This right? movie has like a a little boy troll pretending to be an adult. Right. It has like essentially pornography being distributed over the CB radio. Sure, sure. Right. Like kind of yeah. like smut. Right. right. Yeah, the yeah, lead yeah. character is a social justice warrior. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Like, it was kind of blowing my mind how, like, he identified every type of person who, like, weaponizes the internet to their own enjoyment or advantage. But I feel like this movie is, as we're sort of getting into Demi and trying to develop, like, the Demi take and, like, you know, the the, the listeners have handed us this director who's sort of famously anonymous. 
in in weird ways. Like right. in in interviews, he was always like, "Well, I work with all these great people." You know, like was very happy to pass the praise. He around. did not create a sort of auteur. Exactly. Never had for this himself. sort of mythos of like, "Oh, he's a tortured genius who like must make his movies." His right? narrative was, "He's a really kind man who's a great collaborator." Exactly. So mm. we're you know, but like he's handed this script and this premise that I feel like is sort of like they're like, yeah. Do this movie about like goofballs, and he's like, "But there are these are human beings, right?" And I feel like that's why the movie probably kind of just went nowhere, yeah, uh, sort of flopped on release, and also why it's sort of like kind of interesting to watch it now. Do, do you know this, Justin? That like the movie came out, they were like, "It's like American Graffiti, but in trucks." Right. No one went to see it, no. so then they pulled it from theaters and retitled it. And then submitted it to the and New York Film it. Festival. Re-edited it. Yeah. Like, they cut yeah, it I read down, that I they, think. Yeah. I read that they, uh, the, the audiences were expecting it to be have a musical component well, because they didn't know what CB stood for. I, and, so they thought Citizens Band was would have some sort of musical element hey, to it. Hey, we're the Citizens Band. <laughs> I will admit. I Straight did, out of Missouri. I did not know what CB stood for until I started watching the movie. Oh, went, really? Oh, there's not going to be a band in this. <laughs> oh, you never heard of, like, you know, like, Breaker. You know, like, that kind of, I like, know what a right. CB radio is. Sure. I didn't know what it stood for. Right. So when I heard the title Citizens Band, I was like, what's this going to be some Can't Stop the Music type movie? Right, right. This is going to be a bunch of scrappy people from a small town creating a Citizens Band? Right. Is this going to be like the Muppet Musicians of Brennan? Um, yeah, it's not that. It's not. And Bill Conti did the music. Weird. You so know, the Rocky guy. So Justin, yeah. when, when we asked you what mm. uh, episode you want to be on and you said, I don't care, I'll watch anything. I said, which, it has to be the Citizens Band Lasting Brace <laughs> combo. <laughs> You were like, nothing. you're going to combine better those two, right? Right. You better. Yeah. Right. Because there's a thematic tie between. <laughs> yeah, the thematic tie is uh, they were made next to each other. Right. Well, you said, like, either I, I want to be the guest on the Combined Citizens Band Last Embraced episode, or I need to ask to be a guest on two consecutive episodes. Right. Because I, I have to share my thoughts on these flicks with the world. You have to weigh in on both. Right. But these movies that I and many other people, real people, have seen yeah, and remember. Seen and love. Watch all the time. Right. Uh, well, this uh, WGN, like their their equivalent of uh, a TBS playing uh, or TNT playing Christmas Story twenty four hours straight, is uh, they play uh, Citizens Band twenty four hours straight every Labor Day. It reminds me the way that they have worked in um, CB into this film in every possible angle. Mm-hmm. It feels like an adaptation. Of a thing, like it feels like you know how like the garbage pail kids movie, <laughs> yeah. they like right. how do we turn this into a movie? Yeah. This feels like the adaptation of a the concept of CB radio. Like how do we turn this inanimate object, this idea, into a film that is just like an adaptation of a, an idea? Of, like of that's what fame. it feels like to me. Yeah. It's like you made VHS the movie. Well, I guess right. someone actually did make that. It's like you made Fisher Price cassette recorder the movie, right? Which is an act of pre production at Paramount. <laughs> But <laughs> no, there is like this right. is a Paramount picture. Film. I own oh, yeah. uh, much much like the Garbage Pail Kids movie, uh, one of my favorite films. You do love that movie. I love it. Uh, it's one of the few bad movies that I like. Like I'm very adamant about like if I like a movie, I don't think it's bad, and I don't like watching bad movies on purpose. And right, it, you're not someone who's like, oh, it's a bad movie, but I love it. I don't you're have right. guilty pleasures, sure, right. except for like there you just are, have pleasure. There are like three movies that I think are terrible that I can't stop watching. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Garfield Kids movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Old Dogs. 
Yeah. Sure. Sure. And I'm trying to think of what the third one is. It might be just those two. I know. I'm trying to think of what the third one is. Citizens Band? Uh, Yes, Citizens Band. No, Citizens Band isn't even bad. This movie is not bad. It's a little... It's just kind of meandering. You're just kind of like, okay. It's weird in that... I don't know how much, like... Plot by plot, you guys are going to do on this. It's this one, like, what plot could we fucking do? Sorry, it's a Canterbury tale. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, except the C and the B are capitalized. Um, <laughs> yeah, the it the the when it worked, the, there's just these mo. Overall, watching it, I'm like, I don't know why I'm watching this. Sure. Like, the, I don't know why this is a movie. I don't know why I ever why listen any, to this podcast. Well, yeah, what did I do? What I don't my life? People. Why did I agree to do yeah. this? I have to watch this entire thing. Yeah. Um. Every once in a while, it like a scene really works, right. and it's weird. <laughs> it's like out of nowhere, it just kind of like hits all its marks, and it's very strange uh, because I think so much of it feels so. I don't know if listless is the word. It but feels when a characters listless. take when characters take action in this film, it really comes out of nowhere. Yeah, like it looks like they're like I'm gonna st- the 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 scene where. Again, not to get too specific, but the scene where Spider decides that he's going to clean up the, <laughs> the, the, the airwaves, basically, right. is like, oh, this is the, okay, this is the movie you guys wanted to, this is the movie. We're a third of the way into it, but like, this is the movie you wanted to yeah. make. I get it now. And that action comes from nowhere. It's like, I have no idea why that moment uh, of all others and, and, next. And then like two thirds yeah. of the way into it, they kind of drop that. Like, yeah. Yes. That, like you, when it gets to that moment, you're like, I guess this is the hook of the movie. Right. But you imagine that maybe that's what they hired Demi to do. They were like, it's a movie about one man taking the CB into his own hands. Right. And then it sort of isn't. No. But it's a little uh, oh, of this is what I was sort of trying to tee up. When we were asking you uh, what you want to be on, you said, I haven't really seen any Demi movies. I'll, I'll do anything that you guys pick. Right. And yes. I think it, you said Silence of the Lambs was the only one you had seen, maybe? Long time ago. Yeah. yeah. And I guess I've seen Manchurian Candidate, uh, too. I didn't realize that was one movie. of his one I haven't seen. pictures. Um, long time ago. Well, and those are two outliers because like he's got like three thrillers in his entire filmography right, and they're right, right. Last Embrace, Manchurian Candidate, and Silence of the Lambs. And one of them is like a stone cold classic canonical American like work. Well, he's maybe the most famous and important thriller of all time. Right. 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 Along with like Psycho. Right. And one of the most dominant Oscar movies of all time and one of the weirdest Oscar movies of all time. To be that dominant. And then the rest of his career is like predominantly better versions of Citizens Band. And Hmm. they are movies where like once he taps into it, it is sort of like he has figured out how to sustain the vibe of those rare moments that work in the way you're talking about. about. That weird magical kind of thing. And part of that is that like sort of we're talking about that he doesn't sort of. He, he did not in his life try to present himself as some sort of like master auteur that he was like, I like to work with a writer and I like to ha- cast actors and hire people to do their best work and create a fun environment and set and like dig into stuff and try to find something honest and truthful. And all his other comedies after this, he's got this like incredible run of really weird studio comedies. Yes. Uh, that becomes his thing. Right. Um, that are able to sort of sustain this energy for an entire runtime, but also have sort of like a clear, simple plot on its face. This is, I mean, the beginning of this movie is close to unintelligible. Yes. When like the yes. truck is turned over. I, I watched I it, it two times. I think they probably just, I mean, obviously we're watching these fairly grainy transfers. I feel like, uh-huh. you know, maybe it looks better. But like, 
they probably just didn't have the money. Like, you just don't really know what the fuck is going on. It's also at night. It's at night. A truck is tur- I don't know. And like, the sound is really rough. Really, I, really hard, hard to, to dramatize. To figure out who's, who's talking. Yeah, yeah. A lot of things. That's the thing. It's really hard to dramatize people talking on the radio. You're also being introduced to all the characters at night in cars that are not illuminated. Yeah, and they mm-hmm. all have freaking aliases and real names. I can't keep right. track of any of it. But I will say it took me an hour to clearly identify which characters uh, were the characters who were in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, Because right. you're like, that one guy looks kind of like Paul Lamatt, but with glasses. Yes, yes. Wizard, and that, is that his name? Um, yeah, no, Warlock. Warlock. And that guy, Warlock, yeah. fun fact about that guy, do you want to know? Please, I can't wait for this fact. All right, he's played by an actor called Will Seltzer, who never amounted to anything. He was in the, he was in the. <laughs> Damn. I mean, no offense. <laughs> no offense to him. some gold shit, He David. was in, like, more American graffiti. He was, I didn't know you were Will Seltzer's uh, uh, disappointed uncle. <laughs> I know, I feel, now I feel mean. He's a disgrace to the Seltzer family name. <laughs> the first family to ever carbonate water. If you're this fucking guy, you he's would living never. living off the Seltzer billion. They make a commission off of every can of LaCroix to this day. I'm about to, to blow day. your minds. Okay, give me a George Lucas blowing. said this guy was the runner-up for Luke Skywalker. Wow. He was the second best screen test that George Lucas Will saw. Seltzer. Will Seltzer, who, like, like, his IMDb page says, here's a sentence from his IMDb page. He also appeared in an episode of Barney Miller in 1977 and again in 1982. Like, that mm. amounts to a sentence on his five-sentence Wikipedia page. And that guy was almost Luke Skywalker. The same wow. year that Star Wars came out and changed the world. I bet he's right. never had that thought. No, yeah, he's probably just he's chilling. Never, he's never thought that if I had got Luke Skywalker, my career would have been drastically different. <laughs> no, because, Justin, if he had gotten the part in Star Wars, he wouldn't have been able to do that Barney Miller in 77. <laughs> or the other one. Right. Yeah, he, or 82. He wouldn't have He had, might have been in pre-production on Return of the Jedi. He, couldn't have done it. He wouldn't have had the joy of waiting waiting five years for his agent to call and saying, Miller's bringing you back. <laughs> <laughs> They've made you a recurring. Anyway, instead he got to play like the horny, you know, virgin in Citizens Band who gets like taunted by um, Candy Clark's character. A character who feels like the shooter in Nashville. Like yeah, I was right, like, are they right, setting up this right. guy to this massacre guy go on a everyone? Rampage? Right. <sighs> The um it I, but I think that that's probably the the kind of craft thing that you pick up when you make a bunch of movies. Eventually, you're talking about this this same basic idea and him improving over time. Yeah. The idea that you would need to to take ten seconds to just frame <laughs> a character and who a character is. Yes. To like if you're gonna dump ten characters on us, like just a beat to establish who each one is as a person is great. Yeah, I mean that's the thing that is fun about uh, uh, doing this podcast and starting with people's first movies is like you get to chronologically watch people like figure shit out. Like acquire the basic building blocks of making a coherent movie. Right. And usually the early ones have like sprinkles of their best qualities but lack the basic craft to make a like pretty entertaining thing. (laughs) It it doesn't help that Paul Lamatt, at least especially earlier on, has a real down tempo energy yeah. that doesn't feel like the propulsive sort of force behind a film. He seems to just sort of be be present for the filming. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. 
From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. So we got to talk about Paula Mattis. There are two What a Weird Movie Star discussions we need to do in this episode. Paula Matt's the first one. Sure. The cast- Sorry, I want to be clear. American Graffiti is 73, not 74. I said 74. What egg on your face? <laughs> uh, Embarrassing. Uh, it's like a, a real Will Seltzer. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Lamatt uh, served in the Vietnam War with Thank the you. U.S. Navy. Thank you for your service, Paul. Uh, and then basically his first ever movie, he did like one TV pilot yeah. and his first ever movie is American Graffiti, which he's sort of the lead of. He's kind of the neutral lead of the film. Right. I mean, the movie kind of has like three or four leads, but he's right. sort of the hero, anti-hero. He kind of is like the Han Solo of the movie. Yes. Like if you're know, thinking about it in George Lucas's canon. You have to imagine that he auditioned for Star Wars. I mean, everyone did. auditioned did. for no, Star Wars. Did, for sure. Um, but, but he wins a Golden Globe for like best new star. Yes. Uh, which is a he category does. I wish still existed. Oh, God. It's so much what fun. What a clusterfuck it would be. That the Golden Globes every year used to anoint Can you tell me star. the last winner of best new star of the year actor? Give me the, at, the year. At the Golden Globes, 1983. 1983. Well, the category gets disbanded because of Pia Zadora. Is that true? Uh, I mean, somewhere around there. I feel like, do you know about Pia Zadora? We, let's not get into Pia Zadora right Justin, now. Justin, can we do a Pia Zadora corner? Uh, sure. Get, go for it. Pia Zadora <laughs> was a terrible actress whose, like, millionaire husband 
financed a movie to make her a star. Called Butterfly. That no one liked and no one saw. It was like a softcore sort of like smutty movie. Right. He's like, I think my wife is beautiful. Everyone (laughs) should think she is beautiful. (laughs) It was like one of those things. Yes. And she won new star of the year at the Golden Globes. In 1983? In 82. Okay. But like it's close to the end of the – they do one more year and then that's it. But they disbanded because it was like a big controversy where they were like, this award means nothing now. Right. He like bought the award. Because he bought the award for a movie that no one had even heard of. But the next year, someone won their final acting award in 1983, Best New Star of the Year. Now, was this a good pick? Did this person go on? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, good pick. Um, also, just kind of an obvious one. No, although he did win in nineteen seventy. Right for Stay Hungry. Yeah. Right. Okay. Kind of an obvious one. Yeah, big movie that year. Big movie. Won Best Picture. It won Best. He Picture. was the star in nineteen eighty three. Well, now I'm trying to think. Rain Man is what eighty eight. Okay. It's the movie that beat E. T. Big biopic. Oh, it's Ben Kingsley. Correct. Ben Kingsley, new star. <laughs> There's a hot new star around town. Did he also win Best Actor? Probably. Let's find out. I think that 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 was the other reason is that, like, the new star would often go to someone who also won the competitive actor or actress category. If you if you talk if you want to debate the merits of googling Ben Kingsley uh-huh. versus talking about Citizens Band, mm-hmm. at least people can Google Ben Kingsley at home. <laughs> that is the one advantage that they have is that they can they too can Google Ben Kingsley and play along with the fun. and they will find voluminous results. He did <laughs> right exactly. They will be able to entertain themselves for days. He did indeed yeah. win Best Actor, and yeah. confusingly, Gandhi also won Best Foreign Film. What? Okay. Yeah. And then United w- Kingdom slash India, wow. which meant E.T. got to win Best Picture. Like, they got to sort of spread the wealth. Weird. Whereas the Oscars ended up picking Gandhi over E.T., which is one of their, like, you know, yeah. classic 80s, like, whoa, we like this old-fashioned movie, not yeah. this new kid. Well, the point is, Lamette is sort of seen as, much like the entire cast of American Graffiti, oh, this is going to be the next wave. Right? Right, right. And the number of stars who come out of American Graffiti and spin in different directions where you get like Harrison Ford becomes the biggest guy in the world. Ron Howard, Charles Martin Smith continue to have acting careers but very quickly transition to being incredibly successful directors. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then you have Richard Dreyfuss goes on to have this like triumphant run. Of course. For like seven years that ends in him winning an Oscar. Wolfman Jack. Wolfman Jack becomes the greatest <laughs> DJ of all time. <laughs> but then you even have, like, Suzanne Summers. Yeah, Candy Clark. McKenzie gets her Phillips. Oscar nomination for this Mackenzie Phillips. Like, people going on to sitcoms yeah. and things like that. And Lamatt is kind of the one guy in the top ten of American Graffiti who, like, doesn't have the big career. But he does have somewhat of a career at this point. He's going to be in Melvin and Howard. Which is, that's the big Demi thing movie. that Demi sort of like yeah. claims him and gives him his best post-American graffiti part. Yeah. But if you look at him now, he is now a guy who does weird YouTube videos. Yeah, he hasn't done a, a movie essentially for 15 years. Uh, do a li- I stumbled onto the YouTube Thank videos you. just Googling for him. He has got a beard uh, of such uh, volume <laughs> that I just assumed every video was a manifesto oh my God. of yep. some sort. It's a powerful it's, it's, oh my statement God, of it's a beard. It's so large. It is a Randy Quaid adjacent uh, <laughs> look. Is, is, is he talking about like Randy Quaid thing? Like, is it conspiratorial? He's, no, he's just plugging his books. Yeah, that's what's weird. He about writes it. a lot of books. Right. He's just, it just seems very normal. He's doing the sort of like sort of grandpa YouTube 
angle where the camera's kind of like right. pointing. He has a poster of memoirs of a geisha in his room. I, yeah. Yeah. All right. He's sort of a, he's, he's, he's got, he's got one of Titanic too. He's missing. He, uh, he does. Either. You're right. He's he missing does. a bunch of teeth. He's missing a bunch of teeth. He's got, this is brutal. He's got like a beard that's longer than my entire body. <laughs> yeah. And he's like bald, but with like crazy hair on the sides. Yeah. He's got a little on top, but he has so much on the chin. Right. He looks like a hobo wizard. Let's say it. Yeah, he looks like, um, you know, Moonvest from 30 Rock. Yes. Like, that's who he looks like. <laughs> right. Or Radio Man from <laughs> well, real that's, life. That's the same person. I know. Okay. I was making a joke. God, Justin, he doesn't get it. <laughs> uh, that's what I'm picking up on. I got to just get yeah. in the brother game. Is that the answer? Do brothers get that's jokes? the secret. Just record with your family. Brothers get jokes. Um, the point is, it's weird that, yes, when you look at the thumbnails and the amount of videos he has, you assume that they're all manifestos or they're all like QAnon shit. Right. You would assume this is a guy who's about to tell you why he's like drinking, you know, poison to go on a comet or whatever. Or like right? telling yeah. right. like dark stories about other people in Hollywood. And right. Instead, where he's like, eh. look at, look at this guy. Instead, they're all kind of this nice. This is good content, David. Give videos. him a podcast. He should have a podcast. Okay. Well, these people can watch these videos. Take it to the Lamette. He has a James Dean standee, like a cardboard standee. Hey, he loves the movies. <laughs> What's the other poster? It just seems like it's like a glamour shot of like Marilyn Monroe. Why is it not okay for poor? No, he can <laughs> have him. I'm just intrigued. No, 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 David. I, listen, Will's dead. There, you can't kick Will Seltzer anymore, but let's move on to Paul Lamette. Why is it not okay for this man to have, this man who is in a fil- the film industry to have posters <laughs> of movies that he enjoyed? Like, what well, to so be clear, he loves he the has, work. He has two posters up. Titanic, great movie. Uh, Memoirs of a Geisha, bit of a curveball, but okay. <laughs> then he has the James Dean cardboard standee that's yeah. just kind of leaning against the wall. Yeah. And a framed picture of Marilyn Monroe. He loves the Looks movies. like he's got like an HP laptop that's just open. Like he's talking to a separate laptop. David, what is the Mount oh, Rushmore? Oh, he's got an Elvis Presley pillow. What is the Mount Rushmore of film? Titanic. Geisha. <laughs> James Dean. James Dean movies. Right. If you were to carve into laptops. a rock side, the Mount Rushmore films, it would be The Ship, The Titanic. Right. Marilyn Monroe's dress blowing up. Yeah. Just Geishas. the sort of. Right. The, a geisha. With right. like an umbrella carved out of the rock. Right. I mean, the third face is five geishas. <laughs> Full body. And then maybe like a sad L.A. apartment. <laughs> Yeah, with like blinds, you know, those sort of like, you know. The, uh, I anyway. like that. I don't want to mock him. I'm literally nice. just fascinated. Well, I can't hear what he's saying, so that's an issue. But it was like a relief. I mean, Justin, you felt the same way where you right. were like, he's going to say some really upsetting shit. Right. Yeah, 100%. I didn't even have to click on it to know that. <laughs> I knew for sure. But then. He has one. He has a. Guys, he has a film. His, according to IMDb, his last film. Was in 2009, yes. and it was a movie called Chrome Angels, which is weird for for in the context of Citizen. Sort Day. of a, a right, a, a sister. Perhaps there, there is a character named Chrome Angel in this film. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's very strange. Uh, his it, and he has one film called Eli Elder in pre-production. Oh. Can we please move the pre along <laughs> on this flick? Because I've seen the beard, and that's going to be a powerful performance. Let's get this going. You are asking that we add Eli Elder to the blank check. He's playing slate. Eli in this. That we that we acquire the rights to the film. Right. I think we can yes. do the that. The poster is what I can only describe as like 
a sort of bitmap of Paul Lamatt's face, and then someone has like put a word art sheriff star in the R of the elder. That's very good. Yeah, yes. I mean, he looks great. That is it, vaporwave, it was, David. It is. It's vaporwave to five. <laughs> it was really it's, hard to watch. The first I, movie I that goes straight to IMDb. free cell. I kept watching, uh, checking IMDb when we were watching this movie, and it is infuriating because people are only identified in the credits yes. by their CB right. handle, Correct. some of which are not used in the film at all, no. as far as I could tell. Uh, and also a couple of which are spoilers. Yes, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that, that are like just by their role that they're playing. Uh, but Yeah, I didn't. It, I mean, it, I love a po- an end credits where you, you know, you see the actual actor and then to. like a title flashes on screen. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, for what's his name? This could have used that at the, the top. Kid, uh, the hustler. <laughs> the kid, the hustler. Yes. Turns out to be yeah. a kid. Yes. <laughs> right. But there is that thing. A lot of the movie, you're hearing voices and you're meeting characters in person. And there are like four or five turns that are based on you not realizing that character you've been introduced to. IRL is also this voice you've been hearing disembodied. So to do And IMDB right. will connect all those dots for you prematurely. To do the plot as basically as possible, I would say that there are two main plots in Citizens band. There is one plot in which two brothers, played by Paul Lamatt and Bruce McGill. The great Bruce McGill. The legend Bruce McGill, so who invented acting in 1999. Bruce McGill. Bruce McGill playing the role of blood. blood. Ben's favorite character. Yeah, definitely. Um, they it's a good name. are that's in a sort name. of a love triangle with Candy Clark's character, mm-hmm. Electra. Mm-hmm. So that's plot A. Right. And there's like, the two of them are teachers, what does Paul Lamatt do? Paul Lamatt lives with his ornery old dad. Right, who used to be a rancher in Canada, right. moved to America for opportunities for his son, and has never been able to ranch again. He has not been able to herd nary a cow he has herded. I would say this is slightly, this is the maybe slightly less interesting subplot of, of the two plots. That right. would be my argument. And then it, This feels like the more conventional, the more here's conventional the movie, plot. it's, right. it's down-home people. But then, of course, Spider also is wrapped up in like fighting neo-Nazis, and there's all this stuff that kind of crops up at the end Spider there. Spider is like the the Avenger of the CB radio that he believes it has to be like a public service for people to be able to help each other and right. there's all this trash right this, again it's about Twitter this smut yeah yeah okay now and his dad really interestingly I, I thought this was actually very played uh, by the wonderfully named Roberts Blossom who is Roberts plural yes Roberts Blossom Roberts, who's a guy I mean yeah he's, he's the old man from Home Alone is he not Yes, he is. He's he, Old Man Marley from Home Alone. He's the oh old man God, from Home Alone. Because right. I knew him from, like, you know, I don't know. He's in, like, Christine, and he, like, pops up, I, I think, I in, knew, like, Close Encounters and stuff. Like He plays an that, old guy. Great old that guy. That quiet dignity was for Right? You remember that guy um, shoveling he, a walkway? Of course. He plays a character who is much nicer on the CB than he is in real life. Which is kind of fun. Which I think is, like, actually really kind of smart yeah, yeah. and says a lot. Right. I mean, this guy, like, wants to pretend in real life that he's an asshole. Right. And that he's far less mentally there than he actually is. There's the weird right. extended run where he wants to convince his son that he uh, has cooked and is now eating his dog. Yeah, that's a that's a fun thread. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like he, when the son asks him point blank if he has uh, cooked the dog that he is currently eating, if it is dog meat. Right. Uh, he acts like he's senile and doesn't understand the question and has lost his mind. 
But it is, again, like if you're going to keep this internet metaphor going, it's like when your older relative, your dad, your grandpa, whatever, like discovers like message boards and yeah. in like their 70s, you know what I mean? Like, right. or I guess Facebook, like whatever Facebook became. Yeah. yeah. But he's not using it for ill will. No, he's using it to, to like share. It's like nice core. Like, it's like right. pictures of his sons. Yeah. It's like, I love right. them very much. <laughs> All right. So then the other plot, the other sort of main plot yeah. is – uh, Charles Napier, who is going to be the most recurring figure in this miniseries, yeah. he's in most Demi movies. Yeah, he's a great character actor. There's another recurring figure I want to bring up in a moment. That's fine. We'll sure. get there. Yeah. Um, and it turns out that he has two. He's the one whose truck crashes at the start of the movie. Right. And this reveals that he has two wives, essentially two ladies on the go, and they discover him. And so that's the other plot. Right? Yeah, which is the better plot and feels like the more Demi plot. Yeah, and it's just sort of funny and it arrives at a fun conclusion and everyone in it is really good. Both women were nominated. One won and one was nominated like the National Society of Film Critics for really? Best Supporting Actress. Like I think that was the only thing that really connected. They're both uh, excellent. And Wedgworth and Marsha Rod, I believe. Yeah, Marsha Rod was the one I was really impressed with yeah. who plays the sort of more soulful. Right, right. Marsha Rod was very funny. Very good. Um, but yeah, I mean, this opening scene of the movie is supposed to be like, oh, here's like the central event that unites all these characters, except it is shot and cut in a way that makes it almost impossible to identify It's the really characters. hard to figure out what's going right. on. Right. So you have like Warlock is like flirting with Elektra, mm-hmm. who's like sort of like, you know, like- He's a- married and bored. Sex call line. She's sort of using the CB radio to kind of like get her jollies off because she's bored. Right, she's not married. She's married. Not married. No, she's not. She's not no, married. No, because she's the one in the relationship with in the, the two relationship. brothers. No, no, no. That's Candy Clark. Isn't that Electra? Yeah, Electra. Yes. Right. She's not in the. Oh, she. Sorry, in the relationship with the two brothers. I'm sorry. Thank I got confused you. between the two brothers and the two wives. Right. They're, yeah, not married, but right, like there's yeah, three love yeah, triangles. Yeah. She's in a crappy relationship with one brother after ending a relationship yes. for several years with another brother, and she is a school teacher. Right. She is pretending to be a sort of uh, phone sex hotline woman. Operating only over the CB, which Warlock as a lonely man is like, uh, you know, hitting her up constantly on that old hand radio. Uh, but meanwhile, uh, uh, Napier gets turned over and Paul Lamatt as like the, the SJW of the CB is going to try to rescue him along with his friend. The world's largest man. Right. A, a guy where I cannot comprehend how big he is, even just down to— He's like a lump of granite. His head and his hands look massive. Yes. Yeah. Um, Who's the other one you wanted to talk about? The other one I want to talk about is uh, uh, Gary Goatsman. Okay. uh, Who has small roles in both of these films. He is the tour guide at Niagara Falls in Last Embrace. uh, And I forget who he is in Citizens Band. But he is in both of these films. And he ends up having a small part in like every one of Demi's films through Philadelphia – Right. I was like, I knew I recognized producer, this guy's name. Right. Yeah. At which point he teams up with freshly Oscar anointed Tom Hanks right. and becomes right. Tom Hanks's producing partner right. for the rest of his career. Right. Wild. Uh, he is like Tom Hanks's right hand man. But before that, he's a character actor who Demi uses a lot, and that ends with Philadelphia, in which he's playing the same character that he played in Silence of the Lambs. Right. And now he has produced, like, every Tom Hanks movie, but also Mamma Mia and My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Right. And, um... Do you think he's got any money? Uh, I think he's got a little bit of change. Oh, interesting. Two dollars. Okay. 
Okay. He's got the $2 deal on every picture. He also apparently like was a music producer who worked with like Smokey Robinson and the Staple Singers and shit. So he's, yeah. Okay, well, retired bit. Um, but, but there are a lot of interesting people like that. Uh, Scott Rudin is the casting director oh. on Last Embrace, who is now the most dominant producer in Hollywood. 100%. And on Broadway. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of people start out sort of in the demi circuit. The other interesting thing, which we forgot to mention in the Corman episodes, is that uh, these movies are shot by Tak Fujimoto. Uh, the, they are not both shot oh, by Citizen Last Band Embrace. Is. Yeah, jo- Jordan Cronenwith, who's another famous okay. cinematographer, shot uh, Citizens Man. But he. Uh, Tak Fujimoto, who becomes Demi's yes. main guy, shot Last Embrace. I believe it's their first collaboration. But also was uh, the cinematographer on uh, Caged Heat. Yes. If not the other two. I mean, he was working with them from the very beginning, which is one of these interesting things to see where you're like, this is a movie that's kind of a mess but has interesting aspects and, like, is sort of low-rent looking but has, like, interesting shots. And then ten years later, these two guys are going to do Silence of the Lambs together. Yep. And Tak Fujimoto um, shot um, Pulp Fiction. Yes. Yep. And this, this, cat, uh, this cat was the DP on Blade Runner. Uh, yeah. Uh, dude is Jordan Cronenworth was yeah. yes yeah uh, both his incredible. son is Jeff Cronenworth who works with uh, Fincher now and like yeah, yeah. another famous um, I want to we're, we're almost done with Citizens Band unless you guys have things to say but I want to read it's although one scene I yes. I, I, yes. I wanted to highlight there's there's one scene towards the end there's a there's a sort of like weird half hearted struggle about Spider leaving he refers to it as the farm mm-hmm. but his dad lives he says he lives in a junkyard right. so like i don't know it's uh, leaving his dad basically and his dad's like uh, actively resents that he's not living on a farm cuz he feels yes. like that's what he gave up by moving to america and his son just keeps on like an asshole calling it the farm right uh and there's a scene where his he has decided to throw a birthday party for his dad who hates his guts uh-huh. <laughs> tried to throw a birthday party for his dad but there's a scene where They've lit the candles and they're sitting together. And Spider tells his dad that he's uh, that he's heading out, and it's like this, like surprisingly touching scene of people just sort of expressing like real heartfelt. It, it, it you know what? It felt to me like um, it had something where a lot of dramatic scenes where news is broken uh, is not. In it is that sense of like couching the information yeah. uh, because the person really doesn't want to be saying it, which you almost never see in movies. Is like usually if someone's going to say something, they're pretty well made up. And this guy's like kind of sneaks the information that he's leaving in and then starts talking about how if anyone talks bad about his dad, he'll leave him and he really loves him so much. And his dad just sits in total silence, won't even blow out his birthday candles. And it's like this weirdly, like for me at least, I, I found it like weirdly touching and affecting scene in this film that do- had not really had that sort of like weight or 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 uh stillness yeah. to it at any point before that. Well their relationship is really odd because they both kind of like tiptoe around each other and then anytime they're in a conversation with anyone else they talk about the other very differently. Right. Like they're right. like this burden on their lives and there's also the scene where he's going to get the medal for being the best citizen on the citizens band radio and he like tells yes. his dad and then when he goes to pick him up before the ceremony his dad has gotten so drunk that he's like passed out on the table yes. and thought man was dead 100 percent. i was like was this dead. has to I mean, collapse, right right, right. Yes. and he starts crying and screaming and you're like oh this is 
him realizing his dad is dead. Right. But in fact, he's crying and screaming because he's like, again, I fucking thought for once my dad was going to be able to see me do something good. Right. Uh, It's a nice little, there's some nice little human moments. And and his relationship with his brother, Blood, uh, you know, like he, Blood uh, is very aware of the fact that he was not his parents' favorite children. Uh, he is now a gym coach where he gets to yell at other children, uh, a scene mm-hmm. that gave me PTSD. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I yeah. truly, when the scene started and he was, like, inspecting all the kids, like, jock straps and, like, yelling at them and making them do laps, I had a full body panic return to the feeling of being in gym class when I was 13 years old. Sorry. Uh, Did you mention Ed Begley Jr. is in this He flip? is, but, I mean, like, I saw him in the credits before I started so watching briefly. it, and I'm like, where is he? Yeah. Like, he's barely in it. But you hear his the voice priest, a bunch. You hear his voice. Right. Uh, he would hate being in this movie now. He only wants electric cars. I don't know. Yeah. Egg Begley joke for you. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. It's a great joke. Sure. I, I just love to do a show with my brother. I loved how Ed Begley became so famous for driving an electric car that he played multiple characters on other shows, not himself, right. where he drove an electric car. Because they were like, it's fucking Ed Begley Jr. Yeah. It's what he does. I also imagine that's like a, a sticking point for him in contracts. Yeah. He's like, I will only, right, I'm not driving your gas guzzlers around the set. Right. And they're like, this movie takes place in the 1600s. And he's like, <laughs> I must drive an electric car. Let me read you. Guys, before we get off of this. I have a couple other things. That's fine. But let me read you some. This is an interview with Demi. Okay. From 1991 in the Los Angeles Times. Okay. He got picked out of the Corman basket Mm -hmm. by Paramount. Mm -hmm. He makes this movie. After he makes this movie, Michael Eisner, who later would run Disney. Mm -hmm. At this point is at Paramount. Becomes in charge of Paramount. He ascends to the throne right around now. Okay. He sees this movie and his first question is, why did we make this movie? And Jonathan Demme is like, <laughs> then the movie comes out. It is a gargantuan flop. Yeah. It cost, I think, about $5 million to make. It didn't even make like a million dollars at the box office True. after they fucking recut. Like it, yeah. It, yeah. And then a producer calls him, another Paramount producer, and says, hey, can we meet? And Demi's like, oh, okay. Maybe like... I'm not fucked. Maybe this guy wants, maybe he liked the movie anyway. Because Demi's like, it's not a bad movie. Yeah. His his opinion even like at this point is like, you know, I made a movie that I thought was okay. You yeah. know, and the guy sits down with him, this producer, he's like, so I have a picture coming out in a month and I'm really worried it's going to flop. How does it feel having made a flop? What's that like? Oh and God. Demi's Crap like, wait, me. you only called me in for a meeting to discuss the psychological toll yeah. of having a bomb and a box office bomb? Like, hey, Demi, you're a fucking loser, right? <laughs> exactly. I feel like I'm about to get dunked on hard. Can you prepare me for the atomic wedgies I'm going to get from the press? A hundred percent. And... His takeaway from this movie, here's his quote. I had to take a step back and look at the movie and go, good Lord, it's 90 minutes of people talking to each other over the radio. (laughs) Eric Romare would not have touched this. (laughs) And he was like, I have to make movies for a wider audience. Like, I can't just make a movie and think like, well, it's a good picture. And that's that. Uh Like, I should be conscious of like, this is a business. Movies are supposed to be entertaining and broadly appealing right and that's something i need to like not forget as i get into the studio Well, that's the corman thing where even if those movies are messy there is on its face a very clean one sentence hook of what you can pretend the movie is about and And when he goes into his comedy phase after this you can go like married to the mob it's in the title right you know something wild a crazy lady like something wild is like the original manic pixie dream girl movie right uh, like all these movies that have like a very clean premise and then he can put all sorts of weird sort of character and craft into it. And 
I think after he makes this movie, he's like, shit, I might not get to make another movie. Mm-hmm. Like, this is such a bomb that I'm I'm a nobody. Like, right. this could be it. Right. And he says it was hard to find another. I think that's why he made Last Embrace, because he was just like, any script anyone wants me to make, I'm there. And you're like, like this is a thriller. Maybe this is an easier genre exactly. to sell. Right. And I have a real movie star. Anyway. Um, I just want to talk a little bit more about the the Napier, Chrome Angel. Love Napier. Uh, what are their two names? They're both named Angels as well in the call signs at the yeah, end of the movie. Dallas Angel and right, Portland right, Angel. Right, right, right. Um, but this beautiful thing where you're like introduced to Napier in the accident. Who just has this insane chin. It's just the most incredible like jaw. We lost him a couple years ago, but he was one of my favorite character actors. Always stuck out in any movie. I knew him from here's how much he like stuck in my craw. I, I knew he was familiar to me. Literally the only thing I knew him from and was was trying to recall was a FMV game called Spycraft, the great <laughs> Whoa, game. Never. Where he was heard like of the it. director of the FBI, uh, and he was like your mean boss, basically. Great casting. Uh, Perfect. And he role. made such an impression from that. I remembered him some, you know, twenty odd years later. Well, the thing that he stuck in my craw from at a young age was he plays the American general in, in Austin, Austin Powers, Powers right, right. who has to go oh, yeah, and unfreeze yeah. him. Uh, and sets yeah. him up on his mission. But he's got the scene where they they call him and say, like, we found Dr. Evil. Uh, it's it's Clint Howard calls yes. him and says, like, we found Dr. Evil on the radar. And it's, like, 17 split screens. It's, like, a bunch of little boxes. Yeah. And he gives his directions where he's, like, uh, uh, feed my fish. Don't forget to tell my wife I'm missing. Pack my suitcase. And you see all the split screens of all the different actions. And then he says, I'm going to London, England. <laughs> and that line reading <laughs> of funny. London, England is a thing I – quote all the time and I'm not even doing it consciously no, but I just, just think it's, it's just, funny that's how you say London comma England like if where I grew up by the way I'm sorry what just getting that in there what oh, oh, ben, ben just, wait a uh, second what Ben's here again yeah, I no I know I've been here the whole time I just uh, was looking at something. I've missed Justin. this I'm a long time listener I've never and you've been like binging London, episodes wait, like you've been listening wait, to wait, them yeah. all okay. the time I, we're talking about Lo- England London England <laughs> This is oh God. Just I'm so sorry. Absolutely this has to crazy. happen in front I of know, you. I know a brother would never pull this on. No, it's fat. Amazing. This is like when you go over to someone's house for dinner and the family starts fighting. Their parents start yelling. The at British them. one. Yeah, What's the British that? one. Yeah, 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 yeah. My God. One thing I want to point out about so Charles- like the Queen. Yeah. Have you ever met her? Or like, no. do you? Okay, but do you? She walked by me once. What? Okay. The, what? At VE Day. Okay, 1995. On vacation? No. Wow! 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 <laughs> but do you? Are you like? Do you pray to the Queen or whatever? Do you have like? Do Wait you, a second. Now you're just asking comically uninformed <laughs> questions about Britain. So you do tea time every <laughs> hour the on the hour? <laughs> is that you guys barely even know what Britain is? I know London, England. <laughs> Oh, boy. I know from England. Um, you know the one I get when people bring up London uh, is the um, Dennis Farina and Snatch, the bit where he's like, I'm coming to London. You hear that, Doug? I'm coming to London. <laughs> I literally can't say If someone mentions London, I can't not do I'm coming to London. You hear that, Doug? I just want to shout out my personal favorite, Charles Napier, Austin Powers line reading, which is in, I think, The Spy Who Shagged Me. Uh-huh. He's in the scenes with Tim Robbins as the president. Right. And there's the thing where uh, uh, Tim Robbins is like, what if we nuke the moon? And he says, like, are you suggesting we blow up the moon, sir? That's the line. And he's like, would you miss it? Would you miss it? It's a great line. 
Are you suggesting we blow up the moon, sir? Was Tim Robbins winning the Oscar for Mystic River a makeup for him not As even being nominated in Spy Who Shagged? Of course, 100,000%. It's one of his <laughs> better performances. It? It's really and I'm funny. not saying that in a backhanded way. He's really fucking good in Spy Who Shagged. Robbins had that run in the late 90s, like his, his cameo in High Fidelity. Like He was Incredible. a great like firecracker oh, so cameo good. guy. Yeah. And now I guess he just doesn't really do a lot of movies. I, what the fuck is Tim Robbins even doing? Uh, well, of course, he's going to be our guest on the Melvin and Howard episode oh boy, next week. You can ask him directly. Huge. Uh, please don't bring up the England stuff with him. It will throw him off. <laughs> um, you know the other one that he has incredible cameo, and, and it's after that initial run, but he's really fucking good in that? What? Uh, the Tenacious D movie. Oh, I've never he seen He has movie. the best scene in the movie. Yeah, well, there you go. He has a cameo in Zathura. He has a cameo, it's, of course, uh, in Anchorman. Me, Zathura is not a cameo. Well, it's listed as a cameo in Wikipedia. He is the adult lead. Well, he is the parent. But he must be in like one or two scenes, right? He's bookending the picture. Right, right, right. But he's um, the emotional core of the film. He's the heart of the film. News. Linda he's Cardellini funny in Anchorman. Remember that? Yeah, he's very funny. He's the PBS guy. What's your, what's your favorite uh, Robin's pop in? <laughs> Justin, you got a favorite Robin's pop? Um, Rob Pop. Uh, you got a Rob Pop? I met him in real, Rob. I met him in real life once. Did you? And he's, yeah, it was, I, this is a 30 second Tim Robbins story. I know we have to talk about Last Embrace. Uh, it was, it was uh, after Hamilton. I saw Tim, Timbo there. And, <laughs> and he, he said I, Timbo seen, and gave him a big hug. I said right? Timbo. We both just seen Hamilton for the first time. Um, it was my second as Tim first. And uh, I was talking about how the teens were obsessed with Hamilton. Uh, in much the same way that uh, my generation was obsessed with uh-huh. Grant. And I said, but they're getting the better end of the deal because they walk away from this with a functional knowledge of the American Revolution. Right. And Tim Robbins said, Justin, your generation got something just as important from Rent. I said, what's that, Tim? He said, empathy. <laughs> and it was the most fucking Tim Robbins I was, I was waiting for like a joke. Done, and I couldn't believe, I couldn't fathom that it was Tim Robbins not doing a Tim Robbins SNL oh, wow. or something. It was Can I tell my 30-second Tim Robbins story? Everybody's got one. My, my, <laughs> my first real acting job I got, not counting uh, uh, The Buried Secret of M. Night Shyamalan because sure. I was cut out of it, right. uh, was a pilot that, that Tim Robbins uh, directed Oh right, right for right. Showtime yeah. uh, that our friend Matt Patches uh, was a PA on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the Gravity guy, right? That guy? The different show. Oh, different show. Okay, so different show. Take it back, take it back. Uh, this was a Tim Robbins pilot called Possible Side Effects that was about, it was like a succession but with the pharma industry. Great. Where it was a family, like an old money power family. <laughs> Sounds like a real barn burner. It was Ellen Burstyn. Love her. Try silence. Try silence. Uh, Try uh, Josh silence. Lucas, Tim Blake Nelson. This is the one that she insisted she wasn't in. Correct. She right? told me she was not in this. Okay. <laughs> she said, you have me mistaken with someone else. <laughs> Could it have been Ellen Barkin? Is that I'm 100% possible? certain it was wasn't Ellen Wasn't the Barker? No, absolutely not. She wasn't off the leash? I, I just want to remember. Three projects I was in with her. She does not remember the first two, despite, I think, winning an Emmy for the second. <laughs> anyway. She's lousy with Emmys. She, she uh, uh, this pilot never went. It never aired, but I was not cut out of it. And I played uh, the young stoner boy in it. Sure. Um, I was invited over to his place for rehearsals. And I got outside. Is this like in Manhattan? In Manhattan. I will not divulge the the exact location, although I don't think he uh, owns this place anymore. Sure, sure. But I got to the buzzer board, right? It's 123 Tim Robbins Avenue, just FYI. (laughs) I got to the buzzer board outside this building, Mm -hmm. and uh, one of the names on the board was uh, T. Dobbins. Okay. And I went, well, very famous people. 
don't want their name being publicly visible right. on a buzzer board. <laughs> so I assume that this is the world's worst cover name. Right. He has literally just changed one letter. That'll fool him. So I sent a text to be like, I just want to double check. Right. The is correct. It Dobbins? It's right. apartment eight T Dobbins, right? right? Right. And the response was, no, it's apartment nine Jack Malarkey or whatever. <laughs> He just happens to live next to a T. Dobbins. Whose first name is Tim. <laughs> he lives directly How next to- How have we to- never done a Robin's Corner before? This is gold. He lives directly above a man who is one letter off from his name. And he's got some completely false name on the buzzer board. And so you got into this apartment. And who's there? Ellen Burstyn. Josh Lucas. Eva Murray. Maybe on Burstyn. Uh, Tim Blake Nelson. You yeah. said uh, Kimberly Quinn. R- R- Remy Aubergenois. Yes. Uh, I feel there's another. There's um, some really big ones. Uh, the, the, Sarita Chowdhury. I was about to say. That was the name I was um, trying to pull. I feel like there's another. Uh, uh, Jason Butler Hartner. Sure. It was a really stacked cast. Everyone was like, this thing is solid cast. So Betty going. Betty Gilpin? Betty Gilpin. Young Betty Gilpin. Uh, all my friends were like, you are a TV star now because you play the stoner. Best friend of the young son. Uh, I was a stoner who played the theremin. Oh, sure. Okay. And that that came about because Robbins was like, do you play any instruments? And I was like, no. And he was like, really nothing? And I was like, nothing. And he was like, fuck, we're going to have to come up with something for you to fake. And I was like, haha, like the theremin. And he went, that's funny, but I mean, we'll have to come up with a serious answer. (laughs) And then I showed up on set and there was a theremin. Sure. And they asked me to play it. Right. Don't you just sort of go like... That's what I thought. No, David I'm is my hands around. waving his hands like a moron, and I thought, <laughs> what? I, I thought I can just wave my hands like a moron, and unlike the guitar, where no. people will know my finger plays. It's a real instrument. Wrong. Yeah, so uh, it's one of the worst scenes that any actor has ever done, which is me pretending to be stoned, laughing at my theremin playing, and I am unconvincing at both things. Acting stoned <laughs> and playing the theremin. Sure, I could do both those things great. Yeah, I know you could. You should have played the part. Yeah. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. 
Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Because, because Justin's spotlighting these scenes of, like, surprising emotional poignancy in this movie, right? He's like Mark Ruffalo. Justin's like Mark Ruffalo? He's spotlighting it. Spotlighting They knew! It. They knew these scenes were poignant! Justin knew. <laughs> I knew! Yeah, you know. So is this kind of where it devolves into? Am I at the peak of the the James L. Brooke years? Is kind of the peak, the madness, show, right? And then it's oh, kind yeah. of this show the is fall awful. Off. Yeah, it's terrible. We recorded our okay. last Emmy episode. I think it was it's terrible, right? right? You uh, you tried to save it, and the computer spat it back out. At it you. did win a couple Obies though pre-release. <laughs> right. uh, Star of Tomorrow. Um, no, just just you started listening to the show in like the last six months and have been binging through it, but you're like a year yeah. behind and you don't understand that. Uh, we have cratered. <laughs> oh, perfect. Okay, good. Yeah, you're hitching your ride to a medium. I don't like this bit. I think if oh, anything... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm kidding. Like okay. a fine wine. Okay, it's mm. a fine wine. Or a rare cheese. Yes. Stinky. Uh, okay. What I was going to say... David's waving his hand no, in front of No, it's playing the ceremony again. Okay. <laughs> that was a good joke. And now he's pointing. Oh, my God. Dave, okay, everybody, mark your calendars. That's the first visual gag in podcast <laughs> history to ever land. <laughs> I can't believe I did it. that thing like a meteor. <laughs> that was actually, that was the first time that someone has done a physical joke that is based off of someone describing the thing they're yeah. doing to, yeah. to alley-oop themselves <laughs> to negate the description. That's why they pay me the big bucks. <laughs> You're right. Yes. You know what, Justin? You're coming on this podcast at just the right moment. We're back, <laughs> baby. We're peaking. We're peaking again. We're back. Oh, boy. Paula Mad style. Yeah, right. Um, what I was going to say is, uh, uh, you you meet Napier. He's in the turned over truck, and then he's an injured man, right? Yeah. And here's this guy who's like the most sort of like square jawed, right. like Heartland boy. America sort of dude, playing this sort of like like wistful, like I got a second chance at life. I just realized how close to death I came. Mm. I'm reevaluating everything. Uh, and you see him explaining all of this with a prostitute he frequents mm-hmm. uh, on the side of the road, whose name is Hot Coffee. That's her handle because her trademark is she gives you a cup of coffee afterwards. Hey. And this lovely scene where they're undressing, getting ready to uh, make love. Hey. And while they're doing it, she's asking him what kind of cup of coffee he's going to want afterwards. Right. And then it just fades mm. into the coffee cup, which is sort of a sweet thing. And he starts just sort of explaining everything to her. And she's talking about how her business is failing and she doesn't know what to do. And the market's done and, you know, all of this sort of stuff. What's the other – she gives off another explanation. Oh, it's like construction. The road's leading to her house. They built too much else on the other side of the highway, and so no one's going to come her way anymore. And he decides to buy her a camper 
right. so that she can be a, a mobile prostitute. Right. Which is kind of this like touching act of just like kindness where he's like sex worker. Sex worker. Uh, where where he's just like, uh, you know, you'll pay me off whatever. It's cheaper than whatever. You know, I owe you. When you're on the road this long, you forget about the embrace of a woman. And you're like, what a kind of sad character. Here's a man who has no love in his life sure. and has this, like, emotional affair with this sex worker who he also then has sex with. But he's really invested in her. And then you meet these two women mm-hmm. who are waiting at a truck stop mm-hmm. for their husband to show up. Right. who is constantly on the road, and the one woman talks about how she knows that her husband's cheating on her, and the one woman's sort of flighty and more superficial, and the other woman has this, like, emotional base. And then, you know, it seems like they're oil and vinegar, but they start to bond over, like, well, we both have the same kind of experience. Right. And then there's this, like, pocket drop scene where they're sitting on the bus, and she talks about finding out that her husband was having an affair, mm-hmm. realizing there was another woman, and the night that her husband performed cunnilingus on her. And it's described as that thing that we all like but never want to say that we like. And he usually only does it on our birthdays. But that night wasn't my birthday, which I think is a pretty— It's a nice write-around. It's a nice write-around. And she performs it with this sort of, like, not self-pitying, but this sort of, like, far-off look in her eye where she's explaining, like, this one night where he was so fully the husband I wanted in every sense that he was so emotionally attentive and physically attentive and there for me. And then the next morning, he just sort of rode off into the sunset again. Mm -hmm. And I, like, I don't know why I didn't leave him. I was so angry at myself for falling for his kindness and not having the backbone to leave him. And then when they decide to exchange photos, they realize it's the same man. But you've defined the dynamic between the two of them, which is one of them is really affected by this and is like really considering, you know, the the state of her relationship. And the other one has never suspected that her husband has done anything untoward. Meanwhile, they're both married to him, both have children, and then they sort of flip positions where the flighty one is now like totally emotionally distraught Mm -hmm. in every sense. We just became friends. Do you hate me now? Am I the enemy? I can't possibly be that other woman, could I? Because we were married. It's not an affair. Uh, And then the other one starts to try to reason with the thing and try to get revenge. They release all the cows. Uh, he s- writes them a note yep. that's like, I understand why you were mad at me. <laughs> the cow prank was unfortunate. Let's sit through and talk through this. And Hot Coffee functions as their like marriage counselor. Yeah, she's like the mediator. In the RV that he bought for her. And they all go like, I don't know. Should we just try? Let's just do all three. Try to be a big family right. unit in a, like a really nice kind of, you this know. This is the, when I was like, maybe this is a good movie. This movie's like, yeah. got, and it's one of these Demi things. I just didn't really care about the LaMatte stuff. So anytime we were going back to that, I was kind of like zoning out again. I didn't either. Uh, I, I care about his dad far more than him. Yeah, sure. McGill's performance is more interesting. Well, McGill's invented acting. Right. McGill, <laughs> the father of acting. He's the inventor of acting. I think either one of these could have worked as its own yes. film, I agree. right? Like, in, in a world where the CB elements were kind of scaled down a little bit, and it was more about the characters, like, there's something there. It's just two different yes, movies. Yes, but because this movie is so scattershot and sort of, like, unfocused, and it's two movies wedged together, I did not expect that this movie had a Chekhov's gun, mm-hmm. that it was going to pay off in the final moment where all threads perfectly tied together, right. which is, of <laughs> course, Paul Lamette's depressed father is the only one who can rescue the cows. 
that Napier's wives, plural, right. unleashed. And it ends with just everyone laughing. Like it's the end of Rat it's, Race and everyone's triumphant dancing to All Star. Right. Yeah, but you know what's interesting about that last scene? Everyone physically in the same yes, place. Yes, yeah. the only time. The only the time. Only time. Um, um, so that's Citizens Band. Thank you for bringing up Rat Race. Uh, anytime. Does it have... It's nice. <laughs> no, there's no box there's office no box data for office. either of these. Okay. Um, we might do the years at the end of the episode. Yeah, have we done 77 before? I don't I think we have. I have no idea what's the top movie of 77. So the second film is called... It's the year punk broke. Uh, oh, that's probably the answer. <laughs> yeah, it's punk, punk the movie. Yeah. All right, last embrace. So... Right, written by David Shaber, based based on the novel The Thirteenth Man by Murray T. Blue. Now, Justin, you had a a, a line uh, via text (laughs) about this movie being based off a novel. Uh, That sounds like me. Yeah, what I say. Uh, (laughs) I'm sorry. It was you were relaying your wife's line. It was my wife said, "I love old books, but when your nail-biting thriller includes multiple library visits, something has gone wrong." No fewer. <laughs> There's at least two, and depending on how you count, three scenes where advancing the plot is handled by going to the library, and not like in a fun, no. uh, 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 you know, uh, what's the Tom Hanks uh, Da Vinci Code? Um, sure, right? Yeah, not like in a Da Vinci Code kind of dramatic. Not like a John Wick library like a, shootout. No, sequence. it's not an right, Indiana exactly. Jones like I love history thing. It's like he's right, like, I got to no. get to the library, and then it crossfades to him talking to another old Jew. Oh, God. There's so much great old Jew content in this movie. Now, this is the thing. I did not expect this to be such a Judaic thriller. <laughs> but it's all, here's my complaint. Should you describe it broadly since no one can Yeah, I will it. describe it broadly. But for, it's not Judaic enough. It should be more Judaic. Is the idea, because this movie I found very confusing. You sure. Is the idea oh, that... This, well, apparently, I've been, I bought a book about Demi, like the only book I could mm-hmm. find about him. And apparently, like, this is one of those classic, like, the script wasn't really done. You know, like, it, it was a disastrous production. Scheider wasn't into it. So I think, like... It's a bit of a half-assed movie in that regard. Right, and it's him. It's fascinating. No, what were you going to oh, say? Sorry. It's fast. It's, it's, what's interesting to me about Last Embrace is, and this is, I think this is like specific to the thriller or, you know, thriller slash mystery genre, is that two-thirds of the way into the movie, I didn't know if it was working or not because it all kind of depended on where everything was going. Because right. the, the cards are right. held back, it's like maybe this is going to land. Did I don't it land? Know. Like it may, it may very well <laughs> land. Uh, land it where it's going for, and you don't realize until the film's over. It's like oh. It lands at the bottom of Niagara Falls onto Jagged Rocks. That's the other thing is that the poster makes it feel like, oh, is this movie going to be like fucking runaway train? Yeah, right. Is this going to be some propulsive like epic landscape thriller? I was like, we got Roy Scheider. It looks like a Hitchcock movie. Jonathan Demme's behind the camera. Like, this looks like fun. And it begins with like his wife getting murdered in a restaurant with him. Which he's having as a nightmare, which is one of the cool sort of director flourishes in this movie is the nightmare is uh it's real it's real right but also he does it with crossfades from every piece of coverage right so from the opening scene you're like something weird is going on here it doesn't feel surreal in a way that tells you it's a dream sequence but it's clear that something unnatural is going on and it's him reliving Mm. the night that his wife died right and that's a good i assume when this starts i'm like oh okay maybe this is like a revenge thriller about 
him chasing the killers of his wife. Or maybe this is like right. about him figuring out. He's a weird you know, government agent. He took his wife with him on why assignment. He was being targeted, right. And in, he in, got uh, killed Mexico, as collateral damage. Yes. yes, yes. Yeah. And uh, as this film starts, he has spent the last five months in a mental hospital trying to recover from the trauma of his wife's death. Right. None of that has anything to do with the rest of the movie. Well, at the beginning, I was like, is this one of those movies where a guy is convinced that he's being followed right, right. and the whole movie is about— And there's about, that very early sequence where right. he's on the subway platform yeah. and he thinks he's being—like someone's trying to push him and it's all in his head. Which I love. Yeah, this is one of my favorite great. subgenres of movies, which is person thinks they're in a movie. Right. You know, like— this is Roy Scheider as a guy who thinks he's in the middle of like a John Le Carre novel, right, right. and really he's just suffering he's from just trauma. Going mad. Right. That uh, brief bit where he thought someone pushed him off is amazing because it's uh, it's Mandy Patinkin yes. is the one that he thinks pushes him off, and it's one of those like fun like oh weird is this Tink. where it's like seeing Maya Rudolph in his <laughs> right, music right. like just pops up like oh weird that's Mandy Patinkin and then the fucking dad from Alf comes and saves yes. saves yeah. the day Max Wright comes out of nowhere to save Mandy Patinkin's life both men are then excused right. from the film I could follow them so they strange. sound like great leads for a Judeo thriller right. well both men had hard outs uh, <laughs> right. Mandy Patinkin uh, right. needed to be wrapped by noon so that he could uh, sing the entire Sondheim book and uh, the entire <laughs> song book and Max Wright needed to go back to working with a fucking puppet to have, to I, what's to what you're saying though about the the, the it, what's frustrating about this movie is that there's that like this idea of like you know maybe it's on his head that he's being followed and he has the reason that he it has the secret agent right. stuff like maybe it's like a some enemy or his employers or something trying to take him out and then there's the stuff with it, like the 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 sort of uh, paranoia and anxiety mm-hmm. he's still dealing with as a result of what happened to his wife and then it turns out what is actually happening to him has nothing to do with right. either of those that's like what's it's frustrating a complete, it's like fake tension that they've ginned up from which nowhere which feels like probably Demi was like this is a more interesting movie this is a more interesting exercise as a director to like go in the head of someone dealing with that kind of paranoia Paranoia and skepticism around every about everything around him, but that is not what the the story inherently is, because the story is a weird secret cabal of uh, Jewish uh, pimps who use their <laughs> sex workers, which is a real thing, to to kill. Is the implication that Roy Scheider is the child of Nazis? No, 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 no. Okay, so you really oh, so Griffin was watching this movie as he came into the. I had technical uh, difficulties. I watched the last thirty okay. minutes here in the studio. He Roy Scheider, it turns out, is descended from right. members of Z McDowell, which was a sort of like prostitution ring. In like turn of the century um, America, okay, consisting of uh, Jews, usually Polish Jews, I think, who would like traffic people. You know, like they would sort of steal people from um, uh, other countries, bring them to America, and put them into like sex slavery. Right. Which this she is explains. a real thing. Right. right. And it's still happening to Janet Margolin, even as late. Well, she as- was a victim of this. Right. Right. And she's holding him responsible because his. It turns no, out. No, she wasn't. Her, her grandma, grandma was. was. Oh, right, okay. Right, right. Okay. Her grandma was. But she's holding yes. him responsible because his grandpa was one of the bad guys. Right. And she's the one who's been killing people as part of this sort of avenging right. journey. I got that it was part of the grandpa thing. Right, right. Right. Simultaneously, there's not, also like a secret, the secret agents are also kind of trying to kill him, putting like cyanide pills yeah, in his prescription his bottles. Agency. Right. But like that seems unrelated. 
the the so the cyanide was Janet Marlin. Right. I yeah, think. that's right. You're right. You're right. She you're cops right. Out. You're right. You're right. But, you're but right. Charles Napier does show up as the brother of his wife, the, his wife's brother, his deceased wife's brother, who says he's just checking up on them for the agency that apparently they yeah, right. work and for. And he holds um, Scheider responsible for like getting his sister Scheider's wife killed, right. by bringing her along. But are they both have the same job? I don't know. The thing is, the reason I thought the cyanide was the CIA is because you don't learn what I just described, that you know, um, yeah. Janet Margolin is the... <laughs> actual villain until 20 minutes before the movie's less, over. Less, Yeah. And right. so... And there's so much... That's such a big idea. Is. And it takes no she time She just has to just say to it. Unpack. Yeah, exactly. This idea that, like, I'm visit... Like, I am avenging, like, you know, the whole, like, sins of the father thing and also, like, the idea of uh, prostitution and what these people went through. None of it is, like, unpacked no. or dealt with in any way no she essentially has one big monologue that is all retro exposition to make sense of what you've watched up until that point right then they have the titular last embrace and then she knees Roy Scheider in the balls and he has a full on he goes like ooh (laughs) (laughs) okay can we We talk about this it is one of the wildest things I've ever seen in a movie okay she impacts the whole finale they're both there at Niagara yes. Falls, okay? She impacts the entire And we've seen story. the poster. We know all, this is going to end right, with them like, dangling someone's over. Someone's going to dangle. All cards, yes. Yes. All the cards are on the table. And then she meets him <laughs> in the box. He goes full home alone for what felt like seven minutes. like <laughs> lying on the ground, hoping Darwin jumps out of Niagara Falls to save him. And... Fucking! There is then the most boring chase right. I've ever seen in it's, my it's, entire it's, life it's, that involves, I shit you not, them joining a Niagara Falls <laughs> tour group in the ch- middle of the chase. It's like the steamroller bit from Austin Powers of it's foot not the chasers. most thrilling. It is like, foot but it's also incredible that they each end up in a different tour group. So you're cross cutting between two banal tour groups. Yes. Like the yes. way they're like ratcheting tension it's is going of, from one tour guide to another tour guide. You know that. You know people kind of tra- trying to looking crane over their neck each over a other crowd, in like a group. Where, where'd she go? Where'd she go? Uh, ben, please pull the audio clip of Roy Scheider getting hit in the nuts because a, I mean, the visual of it is incredible. He does do we'll a full, find it for you, ben. like okay. America's Funniest Home Video, like <laughs> Dad getting hit with the Nerf bat, sort of lean in, like he he does everything but go cross-eyed, right? <laughs> but then he is an actor of like such weight. He and, is. He's and, such an intense actor. Even that's the thing. He's not even trying that hard in this movie. He's still just freaking scary. He's scary. He's such a classic seventy leading man in that you're like is he about to like beat this person up like he just feels like someone will slap you in the face and be like get out of here uh, <laughs> he is doing at Roy Schneider is doing a uh, a, a <laughs> job keeping this film like even the least bit yeah. because like there are moments where it's like nothing is happening but he Roy is putting in a lot of effort to keep things feel like he acts so tense that it seems like he's in a better as, movie. Like he seems wow, he's really he's really. As Vincent can be said in the New York Times, I was going to quote: "No this. leading actor can create so much tension out of such modest material." I was trying to figure out like how to sum up what Roy Scheider's thing was, and that yeah. really is that there is something so tense about him. It's, he's it's why he's so good in Jaws. He's sort of secretly my favorite yeah. in Jaws, even though I love all three of those performances. Well, and like. 
Jaws is the closest that anyone ever came to making him like an acceptable movie star. Because post Jaws, everyone was like, this guy's a leading man. He was right. in Jaws, the biggest movie ever. Right. And audiences never warmed to him in the same kind of no, way again. because he's frightening. That's the thing. And like Jaws, Spielberg was like, I'm going to make this frightening guy work as hard as he can to try to seem nice and charming. He's the normal one in Jaws. And like then, with the nerd and the psycho. And he's kind of the cheese guy. The nice you know? thing is you have the scenes where he's like bonding with his children and then he stands up and walks to a corner and you're like, this guy's haunted. Right. Like there's some weird thing here. I mean, to give you a little run of his, you know, he's a terrific actor. He he was an amateur boxer. He was. He, he ser- served, he served in, the in the Air, Air Force. Air Force. So he's right like now. a fucking tough guy. He is. And then he becomes like a Shakespearean actor. He wins an Obie Award, just like Blank Check the Podcast. Of course. Um, his big breakout role is uh, 71. He's in Clute and he's in The French Connection. Right. He gets an Oscar nomination for The French Connection. He's and, really good in that movie. But that's one of those performances where it's, it's like... A pretty, I mean, obviously Gene Hackman is going big in that right. movie and he's pretty quiet. He's the partner. Yeah. He doesn't have a big emotional arc. Yeah. He doesn't have a big breakdown scene. Right. He gets an Oscar nomination because at this point in time, that kind of performance was stunning. Yeah. For someone to be like that real and that gritty and that intense. And then he's around and then he's 75, he does Jaws. Right. Huge. The, the, the biggest. Literally the biggest. Right. In 76, he does Marathon Man, which he is like a supporting character. But that's a big movie. Yes. In 77, he does Sorcerer, the greatest blank check of all time. He also, yes, right. Which, uh, 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 He's the lead of that. He's the lead of that. Yeah. And Friedkin always uh, says uh, it was the biggest mistake he ever made in his career. Uh, in that. Friedkin's so mean. Right. He was like, have you ever seen Sorcerer, Justin? Sorcerer no, fucking rules. It's one of the tensest movies ever made. It's essentially just an exercise in sustained tension, which is like five really fucking like creepy and shady guys all get sent to the jungle through separate means on a mystery mission, which is transport a bunch of wet dynamite through the jungle. Hell yeah. And the movie is they got a truck. They're in like the swamp. Of are they in Costa Rica? Uh, I think it was South America. Uh, let me look it up. Uh, but they just South America, they got a truck full of wet dynamite, and they're trying to figure out how to move that truck over an incredible amount of land with it's as a remake little of the movement as possible. Uh, yes, and uh, it's incredible. And the whole movie is just close up. Mexico, Mexico, Mexico. Sorry, of Roy Scheider being really worried that dynamite's about to go off and kill them all, kill the entire cast at any single moment. And the studio really wanted Freak and coming off of Exorcist and French Connection, this, like, incredible run, to cast um, uh, fucking Steve McQueen. And he was like, Roy Scheider's a real actor. I don't want to work with a movie star. Roy Scheider's got the goods. I'm hiring him. Right. And he's like, I think it's my best movie. Roy Scheider gave an incredible performance, and it didn't fucking matter because I I didn't have a movie star. And for that premise and, like, that bleak of film, you needed a movie star. And he's like, one close-up of Steve McQueen would have given me the, like, sort of spoonful of sugar to sell an audience on the entire thing. And Roy Scheider is Mm -hmm. just kind of too prickly. Yeah. And then Roy Scheider does all that jazz, which is, like— Well, that's the same year as this. Right. That's his best performance. Agreed. Gets an Oscar nomination. It's an incredible performance. And he's kind of playing against type. Yeah, he's playing Bob Fosse. Right, but he's also yeah. playing an asshole. The entire performance yeah, is Bob this Fosse guy was an asshole. sucks. Right. He's an asshole. He's abusive to everyone in his life, right. but he's an incredible artist, and everyone hates that he gets away with it. Right. And the movie is about him fucking dying and uh, a chorus celebrating it right. in his in his like fantasy, his you know half-dead He's brain. fantastic in that movie, and for some reason, that was the end of him. That's what I was going to say. I mean, say. in the 80s, 
movies like he's in movies like he's in 2010 which is a weird ass you know sequel to 2001 but at that point he's kind of done it's like that's his last like big sort of major role and that movie is like successful people don't like it yeah and I then, don't know what just because you guys talk about movies doesn't mean you can sit here and dismiss sequels well, DSV well right for three years took I did watch that and into that's adventure. the thing is like throughout the 80s his career is like not great right and it's like uh, like 52 Pickup is probably like his best of the decade yeah, and the it's Frankenheimer movie right and Anne it's like Margaret, a programmer right? with like Anne Margaret but yeah. it's like a good whatever right yeah. but then after like the 80s being shitty where it's like oh he's like the grown up in Listen to Me which is otherwise sort of like a sub brat pack yeah. like dramedy with Kirk Cameron uh, then he just is like cool I'm on like an afternoon syndicated uh, underwater adventure series right and that's like his career now. But he famously, while on Sequest VS DSV, like went to the press and was like, this show is a piece of shit. I hate it. Right. And it was like very successful. I think, so he, I think he's just a grump. Well, he's dead now. Uh, was a grump. Uh, but it was, was a yeah, a very successful show that could have given him a new audience. And instead he like hated it. Uh, it did give us one of the greatest gifts in culture, which is a Roy Scheider action figure. Uh, a thing he probably burned. Um, but but this movie is coming at like the tail end. The dolphin's name was Darwin, oh, by the way. That's why I said Darwin earlier because I said Dar. After he got kicked in the ball, he's going for Darwin to come and jump in. Oh, Darwin I get it now. And Justin, that's really funny. Show. And I wish I were your brother because if I were your brother, I would have gotten that. Brothers get each other's jokes. What about two friends? I didn't, it's irrelevant now. Yeah. It didn't work. We Shut tried. up! I came on hoping to get a, a, some number of comedy points awarded to me, and I feel like I put myself no, in the negatives. No, I'm, I'm with my with my terrible. I'm going to give you ten for the Darwin joke. I don't didn't do, get it at the time. He doesn't want give me points after I ask for them. Absolutely okay. not. I do. I'm going to give you five pity points, but I'll retract the comedy points in the edit. Go back and listen. Maybe your head wasn't, wasn't. in the right space to get points. Okay. So you, but, okay, but I'm, my head's on a swivel looking for an opportunity to hand out some points. You know what else is weird about Nice okay. Embrace? What? Christopher Walken's in it. In like for like that it, is weird. this is the year after he wins an Oscar. Yes. He'd won an Oscar in 1970, you know, for a 1978 movie. Right. He's a good actor. Yes. He's in this for two scenes. He's like, yeah, go kill that guy. Like, two, doesn't do anything. Two scenes that both take place with him sitting behind a desk on the phone. So they probably were shot back to back. He probably was on set for four hours. Yeah. He gets the and in the billing. But it's not a substantial enough role for it to be like, oh, we got, like, an Academy Award winner to be the heavy for a few scenes. Right. And it's also mm-hmm. not, like, small enough that it's a cameo. Like, no. it's a weird— He's, like, third build. He gets the end. He gets the end. You're right. You're right. Yeah. But it's, it's also such a weird fit for a mystery thriller totally. like this because he sh- he's so weird. Um, tick- so yes. ticky that you assume that there's something like, oh, I wonder what this well, guy's up he's, to. Like, this guy seems like he's definitely up to At that point in the movie, you're supposed to be questioning whether this is all in Roy Scheider's head. Right. And then you have the character that is sort of contextualized as being his boring boss is the weirdest actor alive. It's like Christopher Walken in like normal garb. Like, oh, here's a mustache and boring glasses and a suit on Christopher Walken. He's a normal guy now, right? And he's going like, look, you know, the trance with your wife die, you know, what to tell you. And then he's gone. Yeah. You see one scene where he's conspiring. Yeah. That's it, basically. Right? Yeah. And then it turns out he doesn't matter. It, it all turns out it doesn't matter. The Charles Napier character, the brother-in-law, yeah. there's like a shootout with him, but I could barely understand why yes. they're fucking shooting each other. Uh, he see, It seemed like it was because 
he had reacted so. It's because okay. he's like so investigating the murders. The Dave goes to right. check up on him, and he pulls a gun on Dave when Dave just has like some right. chips right. or something. He right. does not have a gun. He pulls a gun on Dave. Dave dips, and I think what I what was implied was that because of that, he went back and told the bosses, like, "Hey, he's off. He's right. off the rails. We gotta we gotta, we gotta get rid of this guy. Right, bring right, him right. down." Um, which is a wild person, by the way, to send to check up on the <laughs> yes, mental health. Exactly. Shider, by the way, very bad government organization. That's a, an unbiased observer that you send And also, to like, do one this. of the most triggering people for Roy Scheider to have to see sure. again. Because he's like, okay, I know I was just in, like, a sanitarium for months and months and months, but right. I'm ready to get back to totally normal life. Right. And instead, his work is like, we still think you're crazy. <laughs> We're going to send people to check your craziness. And the brother in law shows up and is like, you're responsible for my sister, your wife's death. Yeah. And there's a lady living in his apartment, Janet yes. Margolin, yes. who thinks that he's an intruder, right. and he has to prove he's not by kicking the floorboards in a way that gets the fridge to work properly. Right. Right. But then he very quickly explains, oh, when I'm away on assignment, they sometimes sublet my apartment to other people. Yeah. And she was like, well, they said that you were going to be gone indefinitely. And he's like, that's not true. Let's just be roommates. Yeah, it's like the goodbye you know girl. how hard up – do you know how hard up for cash your secret organization has to be that you every time your secret agent leaves the country you suddenly yeah, I, I forgot how ludicrous now. that plot explanation of right. why she's Do in his apartment is in yeah like, get all the secrets it is they have to, it is. to squeeze secrets. every extra do- are your are your agents also working as like rideshare drivers it's what the fuck is this rinky dink operation it's I mean yeah selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, Did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. 
For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. It is the, literally the premise of The Goodbye Girl, which is probably like the same year. Yes. Which is like, we're both, we're like double booked to live in the same apartment. I guess we got to live together. Right. <laughs> Except in this one, they fall in love while he investigates the Jewish Avenger murders of various other people. Because she hands him a note that is written in Hebrew, yeah. which he brings to a rabbi played by the mayor of Ghostbusters. Yes. Uh, David uh, Margulies. Love that guy. Uh, who then, like, breaks it down for him but says, like, these two letters don't mean anything. Right, right, That's right, an M and right. a Z. They must be someone's initials. Right. So then this gets to the library thriller aspect of yeah, this movie. Yeah, then he goes to see John Glover. He has to keep on seeing Jewish intellectuals yeah, to have them right. make sense of these notes. And they talk about, like, the Avenger of Blood, Goel. Right. Uh, who is a, you know, biblical... It's like, I don't know, angry Avenger type. But then when when he kills Charles Napier, then Sam Levine, not the same, not little Wolverine, yeah. uh, comes out and goes like, Oi, Gavalt, you murdered the guy. <laughs> and he was like, who are you? What are you doing here? And he was like, I'm from the good Jews trying to make sure that you don't get in trouble with the bad Jews. But I don't know what's going on at all. And then they become like, it becomes a buddy picture. Yeah. He's like his sidecar. The way he, the way he finds out about this, by the way, is that, it, so he gets this note that has the the Hebrew on it. He goes to a rabbi, who translates it for him, and then as he's leaving, that rabbi calls. Well, I I have to assume just yeah. other Jews, like the good Jews, right. basically, and it's like, hey, listen. <laughs> We've got we've, we've got, got a, a goel on our hands. So like the yeah. implication is that they like all the good Jews know each other and are like in a secret secret. It's, uh, it's like the society of cross keys from the Grand Budapest Hotel. Right. Like there's like a right. network of the most moral Jews, <laughs> oh, God. of which there yes. are many. But then okay, look, this whole movie's going on with all this shit. Ben, by the way, is asleep. Ben is right asleep. Now. I'm yeah yeah. I don't have anything uh, to add. This no, movie I is hard to talk about. I mean, yeah. you guys are doing a good job, so um, keep at it. Eventually, mm-hmm. eventually, 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 we cut to this scene of Janet Margolin suddenly dressed up in like a sort of lacy, sexy mm-hmm. getup. Yeah, sex murdering someone in a bathtub in a hotel with a view <laughs> of, of Niagara Falls. Right, and to the point that I was like, did I miss twenty minutes of movie? <laughs> what is this? It's we so hard cut and, to it, and she is such a sort of nondescript. Yeah, I'm like, is this oh, Janet Margolin? Or is this the same person? Yes, right. Are we no, coming to an entirely new not. person? And, and this is supposed to be the devastating reveal of the movie. It's like it turns out it's been yes. her all along. She was a fine actress and a handsome woman. Yeah, I got no beef with Janet Margolin. There is something very generic looking about her, yeah. and this movie twice asks you to identify that it's the same character you've met when she's dressed totally different in a totally different scene, in a totally different location. Right. And then also to recognize her when uh, uh, fucking uh, Scheider recognizes her in a photo right. in which they zoom into the photo and you go, oh, I guess oh, that's, that's her. Janet Marlin. Right. Wasn't she like eighth build in Annie Hall? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, yeah, it's, it. I really, I was watching the scene and my wife and I were both looking at each other like, is that, 
Is it the same? If it's not the same lady, I, I don't know what there's going to file <laughs> corruption along the way because there is no reason. And then, okay, the weirdest thing about the sex murder, um, among the weirder things about the sex murder, is that the <laughs> the sex murder is she gets on top of him in the bathtub and then drowns him in yes. the bathtub. And it, there isn't like a secret, like, she didn't no, have she doesn't a, pull any weird yeah, trick. No. Poison. She, she just like knife. sits on she top have, of him she, until he drowns. And it's, <laughs> drowns him it's like bathtub. playful until it isn't. Like, yeah. it seems like he's into drown play. Yeah. <laughs> until she just holds yes. him back a little too long. Yeah, look, we've all fooled around with a little drown play, obviously. But then... The, and that there is no, by the way, it is not explained. There ha- this is part the part that's very confusing to me. And you know, I, I dismiss. I know her grandmother was definitely right. part of the the the. Secret they syphilis her thing. to death in a very very upsetting explanation. Yes. Yes. I don't know if this woman was or not, because what is confusing to me is that she does have that's sex my with confusion. this guy. And then murders him. It makes and, no sense. And then that sit. photo, like, it looks like her and the other two women are sex workers. It feels like this. But it's a really old right. photo. It's like black and white daguerreotype. <laughs> it's like, what? I don't understand. Did Roy Schneider know that 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 she was involved because she looks so much yeah. like her grandmother? Is I that what so. we're supposed to? But that was supposed to be her okay. grandmother in the photo? I, I, I'm deeply I confused guess. by this movie. Uh, but yes, I yeah, mean, yes, her, that was her grandmother. Her sex scene with Roy Scheider comes after we've seen her sex murder another man. Correct. Right? Almost immediately after. Almost immediately after. And then she goes back she home and ready. she's like, you know what? I'm ready to make love to you. Right. She Then she's ready the to murder now. him and he's figured out who she is. And she's like, but I really like you, so I don't actually want to murder you. Yeah. And then, of course, there's only one way to resolve this. Throw her down Niagara Falls. Take Roll credits. Goodbye. <laughs> like, that, like, that's the thing with the movie. You're like, I have a lot to unpack. And the movie's like, get out of here. <laughs> the next showing's in 15 minutes. We got to clean up the popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just, it's so confusingly paced. Yeah. Um, it, obviously, it's a Hitchcock movie. This is very much like it's a Hitchcock thriller, right? Yeah. It has the form of one. And I will say, you've talked about how, like, 90s, like, Grissom legal thrillers, like, it's sort like of, my like, crack. handsome yeah. are, like, your catnip. Yes. I feel the same way about, like, kind of, like, middling 70s, like, Hitchcock approximations. Yes, 100%. I get uh, that. Like this in, like, Silver mm-hmm. Streak, these weird movies that are, like, we're, like, trying to do Hitchcock, but, like, it's kind of more like family plot because now the 70s have become so shaggy right. that you can't do the tight as a drum thriller anymore. It has to have a bunch of weird, like, side tangents and, like, character riffs. I mean, this is that. I find them pleasant to watch even when they're this sloppy. Yeah. I'll tell you what's interesting about this one that that I I thought sort of broke the mold a little bit is that, and and I don't know if this is, like, I don't know anything about Timmy's work, so maybe y'all can probably clue me in a bit better, but um, I don't feel like the aesthetics of this movie are doing anything to ratchet up the tension and in fact a lot of times i found the aesthetics of this film like very pleasing there's like weird just like pleasing views there's this one scene where he's meeting someone in front of like a a waterfall tunnel would be the best way i could describe it yeah after he gets the blank assignment thing and there's like this bizarre remember the very early in the film um, there's a bit where like uh, he passes a guy who's like playing a song on, on a ukulele. It's all like very, but it's very pleasant. It's like very pleasant to look at. It's very pleasant to listen to, and it doesn't do anything to sort of set you, the viewer. I, I on think edge. that is a demi thing. 
uh, I mean, I feel like he does try to make a cinematic world that is pleasant. Yeah. And there's a lot of sort of like he does things that are unrealistic because he wants to make a movie that's the world he wishes he could live in, right? Right. Especially in this comedy run. Like he he goes between weird levels of realism and sort of like expressionism that are just like it would be nice if in the real li- world like people treat each other like this right. or like dress like this or whatever. But, but also that's like kind of the defining thing about Silence of the Lambs is that like people think of it as one of the scariest movies ever made and he almost like aggressively eschews any traditional sort of cinematic language for a thriller or a horror movie. Right. That, uh, you know, everyone always talks about like the other Hopkins Hannibal movies get it wrong because all of them try to look scary and the thing that is scary about Silence of the Lambs is that everything is presented kind of in a banal way. What a perfect way. And he's using all the cinematic language that he had developed for comedies with the characters talking straight to the camera and all these weird things that shouldn't have worked. And he makes this one perfect thriller like, you know, eight years, nine years, ten years after he makes this middling thriller. Uh, 12 years. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's like he makes this middling thriller. Yeah. Then a decade later, he makes one of the greatest the thrill. thrillers of all time. Like yes. the perfect archetype. Mm-hmm. Then he doesn't do that again. He becomes kind of a drama guy. Yeah. And then he like makes one final like thriller at near the end of his career. Yeah. Where he does a big remake of one of the most famous thrillers ever. Correct. With like big movie stars. Yes. And that's not really the like his zone. That's not really his genre. True. But within that, it's like one weird commercial exercise, one weird like him trying to get his feet as a filmmaker, and then one perfect movie that everyone views as like the pinnacle of the art form in that genre. Right. Mm-hmm. What a weird career. Weird career. We're gonna dig into it further. I'm. Not me. I'll catch up. I'll catch you guys probably around. You'll see us around Christmas. I mean, look, this next run is going to be great. These demi comedies, but the eighties demi comedies are sort of their own subgenre, right? You're going to have a lot of fun, Ben. You're going to love them. Uh, That's enough about Last and Race. I never want to speak of it again. No, it's fine. Whatever. I don't care. It's not fun. It's not fun. It's it's pretty. It's a little it's rough. rough. Yeah, it's a rough one. And the bad, good news is you can't watch it. That's true. <laughs> it's unavailable. It, it so. is weirdly Blu-rays. available on Blu-ray, but not available to stream anywhere. Right. Uh, we had to find yeah. it through somewhat less legal means. Mm. Uh, not a thing I promote. Um, can we do the box office for seventy-seven seventy-eight? All right, seventy-seven seventy-nine. So, I'm sorry, seventy-seven seventy-nine. No, seventy-seven. Let's do the box office. Okay, I have no. What would be the top number film? one film of this year was uh, quite successful. It's quite successful. Um, hmm. And what genre was we it? We discussed it. Science fiction. It fantasy. A science fiction fantasy film from nineteen seventy-seven. Not part of a franchise, right? It sort of launched a franchise. It launched a franchise. Yeah. So what? Like a like two or three or I couldn't even tell you nine. There was a seltzer guy. Yeah, this seltzer guy came close to this one. Oh, very close to so it. So, Will Seltzer tested for this? Yeah, yeah. hair's length away from the lead of this one. Uh, Do you know running? Good movie. Eraserhead. <laughs> he was almost. I was almost Eraserhead. Twenty tens, a couple years later. <laughs> it, it didn't fit on my head. The eraser. <laughs> it wouldn't cast. Too wet. He had the seltzer dripping for his hair. Will Seltzer looks like if they did a Razorhead the TV series for like six episodes, you get Will Seltzer. <laughs> right, yeah. It's like, and now he lives in Hawaii and solves crimes. <laughs> exactly. Like the sequel to The Jerk, you know, the TV sequel to The Jerk. The Jerk the 2? Jerk right. 2, yeah. Do you know there's a Jerk, comma, T-O-O? Yes. That's about another jerk. Yeah. Uh, I've never seen it's it. Is it not bad? Um, the film... <laughs> 
Yeah, no, it's, I mean, no, sorry, it's bad, <laughs> but it's not bad. The film is called Star Wars. Yeah. It is, it is a, a, a Star Wars movie. Yeah, it was a big hit. Big hit. Number two mm-hmm. at the box office, though. Smoking the Bandit? Correct. Wow. $126 million. I knew that, because I just find that really funny. <laughs> right, that those were the twin prongs of pop culture at the time, and Star like, Wars and Smoking the, the Bandit. The only two movies to crack $100 million that year, right? Uh, well, you or know. Or number three? Number three is listed at over 100 but I think that may With include re-releases. as many re-releases. Yeah. It was another definitive science fiction film. I feel like that pairing covers all that. <laughs> yes, it does. Like, all yes, correct. Your dad is either a Smoky fan or a Star Wars stuff. fan. Right, it's one or the other. This is, right. this is the year that culture breaks in half. <laughs> you know, and up until this point, every father would say Smokey and the Bandit is who you should aspire to be. Right. And now half the dads become Clint McElroy and raise their children in the house right. of Star Wars. Yeah. So um, number three. It's crazy that they came out the same year as Star Wars. It's another sci-fi, but it's not Alien. Alien. No, that's 79. I know. It's going to come out. It's crazy that it also came out in 77. Mm-hmm. It Does it spawn sequels? No. No. It's a one-off sci-fi film yep. that came out the same year. And I believe was also nominated for Best Picture. It's, it's one of my favorite Simpsons jokes. It's interesting. It's one of your favorite <laughs> Simpsons jokes. Mm-hmm. From a Treehouse of oh, no, Horror weirdly, episode. Weirdly was not nominated for Picture. Was nominated for Director. Interesting. Yeah. And do, is there a full Treehouse of Horror parody of it, or is it a standalone joke? Simpsons has made fun of this movie a million times. It's one yeah. of the most famous it's movies It's just like made. a, yeah, I mean, they've probably done it many times. But it, there's this one moment that I always think about. It's one of the most famous movies ever made. Yeah. yeah. Do you got an idea what this is, Justin? Uh, I do. I do. But I didn't, I'm a you guest. Do? I don't want to. Shoot. I want you to guess. I want you to guess. Is it Close I'm Encounters? Feeling... Correct. Oh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yes. Of course. Yes. Homer makes a house out of mashed potatoes. Yes, of course. And he says this is important. Uh, <laughs> it is. It, I mean, you know, you know the the famous story. I think it might have crossed 100 million when it came Maybe, out. Yeah. But uh, the famous story is that uh, Spielberg thought that Close Encounters was a disaster, right. and Lucas thought that Star Wars was a disaster after both of them had put together their cuts. Right. And they uh, briefly considered uh, trading points on each other's movies. And <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, neither of them ever ended up making much money no. in, the, in this no. business. No, yeah, I was going to say, um, Stephen, who, what was the last? <laughs> Number four mm-hmm. is um, another cultural... Touchstone. I, I mean, a very definitive movie, even though I feel like it doesn't get enough credit. People don't remember who directed it. It's really just famous for, like, its lead actor and its look and its soundtrack and stuff. But, like, it's a great movie. Um, Saturday Night Fever? Saturday Night Fever. Saga of just depressed people in Bay Ridge dancing. Yeah, yeah. A, very, a very sad movie that great gets movie. reduced to, like, a, a sizzle reel. Right, that and, like, parody. a BG soundtrack. Right. Like an R-rated, tough, like, fucking movie. Right. Who directed it? Uh, John Badham? Yeah. Yeah. Who's, like, a good director who doesn't quite get that, like, new Hollywood crown in the same way as some of his peers. But was, like, a massive hit and was, like, a major Oscar film. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Uh, Although I think it only got a couple Oscar nominations. It only got one Oscar nomination. It only got Best Actor? Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, Number five, the big comedy of the year. I already referenced it on this episode. The big comedy of the year that you already referenced on this episode. Correct. Not an unwatchable movie. Definitely dated. Um, but I have seen it. Won, won a big Oscar. It won a big Oscar. A performance mm-hmm. Oscar? Yep. 
A supporting I presume. Oh, is it Goodbye Girl? Yes. Okay. The Goodbye Girl. Yeah. Richard Dreyfus. It's a Neil Simon movie directed by Herbert Ross. Uh, fun movie. They have to live together. Close Encounters and Goodbye Girl came out in the same. Dreyfus was killing it, man. It is insane how dominant Dreyfus was. Some other big movies then in 77, you got A Bridge Too Far, the big war epic that was actually, I think, a disappointment because it didn't do well enough. Yeah. Richard Attenborough movie. You got The Deep, which is um, like a Jaws ripoff. Uh, Peter Yates movie. No? Yes? No? Yes. No, I'm just trying to get over the fact that there is literally a four-year span in which Richard Dreyfus does American Graffiti, yeah. Jaws, Close Encounters of the Third <laughs> Kind. Yeah. It's 1973 to 1977. Well, sure. Yeah. I want to Within, no, Close Enc- yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Right. Yeah, and then, and then wins an Oscar for Goodbye Girl. And he's the youngest actor to ever win that Oscar. Uh, it, well, he's beaten by Adrian Brody. Yes, but at the time. At the time. And then uh, he looks like he's fifty-five, right? And then his career never ever gets close to that ever again. Hard to get close. To I that. had a driver's yeah. ed teacher that um, showed us Mr. Holland's opus because everyone told him that he looked like Mr. Holland from the final <laughs> scenes of the film, and it was the first time it, as growing up as a young person I had a clear concept of someone who had given up. And this man had given up. <laughs> this man was done professionally. This man had had checked out. Do any of you remember, they used to do uh, on the Disney Channel, when the Disney Channel was a lot of, like, important family social value stuff. Right. They used to have a yearly award show for teachers. That sounds like Where it was, like, the National Teachers Teachers Awards. And, like, celebrities would go, like, they'd, like, walk out and they'd project a photo of their class photo and they'd be like, I remember when I first fell in love with science. I'm Matthew Broderick here to present the award for best science teacher of the year. Right. And uh, Disney uh, had made Mr. Holland's opus right. and was doing this award show. And uh, they play the entire trailer for Mr. Holland's opus, not just during the broadcast, but in the auditorium where the award show is happening. And then they go, ladies and gentlemen, the star of Mr. Holland's opus, Richard Dreyfus, And he comes out and he goes, Jesus Christ, look at me. Started making that film. I look 25. Now I look like the Monopoly man. Right. I have never forgotten that joke. It's a good joke. But it's also so weird that it is like Richard Dreyfuss was the youngest actor to win Best Actor. But he looks old. And looked like a middle-aged man. Exactly. Like the only time he looked young was American Graffiti. Yeah. And then he looks old. Yeah. And then he looks really old. Yeah. And then like the first half of Mr. Holland's opus, they're putting makeup on him to pretend that he's young. Right. And then the end, he looks like how he actually looks. And then he makes that movie The Crew. Okay. Which was like four old mob guys, and it was Burt Reynolds and Seymour Cassell and Dennis Farina and Richard Dreyfus, and he was 10 years younger than the rest of them. But, I mean, like, doesn't this guy look like a 48-year-old academic? He's like 29 in this poster. You know like That's that? insane. Albert Finney is Goodbye, like girl. that. Albert, Albert Finney, Finney, yeah. Yeah. Finney, yeah. Finney is an right. old face. A yes. Scrooge musical called just called yeah. Scrooge that we watch every year, and he looks 70 years old in it. And, and he, he was, was 13 30, years old. He, he was, yeah, he was 34 years old. It's yeah. Wi- I mean, it's wild. Yeah. It's, it's nuts. Some people. Some people. Uh, other movies in the top 10, Spy Who Loved Me, the James Bond movie, mm-hmm. Annie Hall, uh, which is obviously the best picture winner. Oh, God, the um, George Burns. The original. Comedy, yes. All right. 1979, however, number one film of the year. The number one Best film picture winner. of 1979 I feel like we've done this is one. Kramer vs. Kramer. Yes. Have we done this? I don't know. We might have. Let's do it again anyway. Number two, <laughs> Let's do movie. it again. 
uh, uh, The Omen? Nope. Uh, Amityville Horror? Yeah. We have done this. I don't remember when. Number three, big sequel. Number three is a big sequel. Huh. Huge se- sequel. A huge sequel. Is it Rocky 2? Correct. Number Correct. four, big fucking masterpiece war movie. Number four, Apocalypse Now. Number five, the most stoned movie ever made. Number five is the most stoned movie ever made? Yeah, that's my opinion. Up in smoke? No, no, no. You're thinking inside the box. Think outside the box. Think outside the box? It's yep. a it's a movie for weed heads? Yeah, but from the director of The Sound of Music and No Drugs Are Done. Oh, Star Trek The Motion Picture. This <laughs> is David's whole fucking take is that Star Trek The Motion Picture is the equivalent of a planetarium laser light show. Exactly. It fucking rules. Uh, then Alien 10, The yeah. Jerk. Moonraker again, so another Bond movie. The Muppet movie. That's yeah. the top ten. I mean, that's maybe the best box office top ten I've ever heard. It's a pretty good top ten, actually. It's a that, good call. The standard of quality in that top ten is incredibly yeah. high. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 You're right, because, like, yeah. the jerk, like, you know, yeah. everything right. is good. Yeah. 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 Muppet movie, yeah. masterpiece. Jerk, masterpiece. Alien, masterpiece. Apocalypse Now, masterpiece. Okay, wait, hold on. What, who am I? Who am I doing right now? No one's going to hear it, though. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to pull this episode. I'm gonna have to keep this episode in my wallet and pull it out and show it to people to prove I was on this show. Hey, thank you. I like right under the wire. Yeah, I earned them. That's the important thing. I just want to say how much I appreciate your show. I was never a big movie person, and then after we had Griffin on the show. Uh, I I decided to give this show a shot, and it has really given me a context to which I can like dig into movies. Like there, the vast, vast, vast majority of movies you all talk about, I have not seen. So it has uh, been a real education for me, and I just I think it's such a wonderful uh, thing y'all are doing, and I'm so happy to uh, be involved in some small way. That should have been your title for that miniseries. <laughs> Okay, so Ben stopped recording. Are we recording again now? Yeah, fuck. I must have hit like a button or something. Okay, so for the listener, uh, Ben went to the bathroom and stopped recording, and we spent four minutes saying very nice things to each other. Fuck! (laughs) I didn't mean to do it. Fuck me. I I hit fucking C-Spark. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. My nice things are are still on my track, so you can just play mine. And then leave theirs like with silence afterwards, as if I said I put my heart on my sleeve, and then they just gave me nothing in return. <laughs> that would be that's the, that's the ideal. I mean, I think we got to do that, and I think much like Last Embrace, we should let that play out right. without context and only have the listener make sense of it once we get to right this point, where we explain what just happened. Ben has kicked the recording track in the nuts. Ben the, looks real upset right ben now. Ben is truly hitting himself ben, in the head with the microphone. Oh, I know, it's just like dumb. Yeah, but for the listener, that's. Fun. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and you gotta believe. I'll take it. We said some very nice things about Justin. Gave you comedy points. We gave him comedy points. You'll never know <laughs> how many we gave him, but you'll hear the joke that got the comedy points. Fuck me. Wow. What a twist ending. Yeah. Well, I guess you know, it was it was good that I did that. And Ben. <laughs> yeah. Well. Justin, thank you for being on the show. Thanks, Justin. Uh, it's been You're welcome back anytime. My, my brother, my brother, and me, The Mothership, one of the greatest podcasts of all time. Uh, advice for the modern era. Uh, Adventure Zone, 
uh, which is now uh, a series of successful books in addition to being one of the most successful podcasts uh, where you guys have uh, long-running D&D campaigns, and then you do uh, Sawbones with your wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife's a physician. It's a medical history show about weird ways we used to fix people. So. Uh, all, all excellent shows. Um, uh, you, you, you're, you're the best in the biz. Oh, well, that's what it says on my business card. <laughs> Uh, and the, I guess this episode's uh, coming out after the New York shows, but you guys are, are doing shows around. Uh, people, people should look up dates and see when you're performing, right? Yeah, right. That's exactly right. You're doing shows we're, we're around. around. We're actually pretty well sold out for the rest of the year. Okay, no, never mind. Doing, um, uh, shows in, no, no, no. This, when did this come out? Uh, this is going to come out in early November. Sorry, folks, uh, you missed us for this year, or we'll catch you next year. Never mind. David, Ben, and I will be in the audience at a Brooklyn show that our audience will not have heard <laughs> us talk about yet. Yeah, that'll be us. Because uh, this episode will come out uh, several uh, weeks after it. Uh, okay. But yeah. Okay. Uh, thank you for, for being here, Justin. Yeah. My pleasure. Uh, and thank Set me free. <laughs> <laughs> thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Thanks to Andrew Gouda for our social media, Lane Montgomery for our theme song, Pat Reynolds and Joe Bowen for our artwork. Go to blankies.red.com for some real nerdy shit. Go to Patreon for blank check bonus features, where I think we're, we're coming up on Infinity War now. We're almost done with the Marvel commentaries. We only have an Endgame. Four more left. Endgame in a couple days. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. So that's what's going on there. We're we're in the Endgame now. Now I still. You know what? I have, I have the because I'm recording the call. I have the rough cut. Of the rough yeah. audio, Skype audio of your all's part from that episode, so you can reenact it. You can let's do that. staging yeah. of your lines. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of work. But yeah, let's do it. Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. 
amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.